the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us today on this nice dark morning. Yeah, you, man, I could join you also this morning. Yeah, exactly. Well, good thing both of us are here. Y'all, there was like a horrible wreck on the interstate going um, west. Yeah, coming 40. in. Yeah, coming in right before the flyover. So I guess somebody was trying to fly over. All right, well, let me let me set you up here, okay? You know, I just walked in here about two or three minutes ago. Usually on Friday nights, I don't go out at all. Right. I just don't because right. I'm at home making some notes and, mm-hmm. you know, just going to bed early and getting ready to get up early and the whole thing. Well, I had some friends from out of town come in. No big deal. So I made some notes Wednesday night and Thursday mm-hmm. night for the radio show. So I've got that taken care of, okay? <laughs> we go out, get a bite to eat, come back home. And first of all, I'm setting my this digital alarm that my wife got me uh, for this morning, right? Mm-hmm. Well, when I push a button, all the lights started flashing. No. Something wasn't right. So I think I finally got it, you know, uh-huh. set. Well, it didn't no, set. of course not. No, so <laughs> just happened to wake up like at 5.05. Oh, my word. I'm like, what? you know, how come, That's... first of all, how come this alarm clock? So I got to read the manual again. I, you know, I think I set, well, I set it when I first got mm-hmm. it. And I haven't looked at it since then. Right, right. So I got to read the manual and, and, and figure out how to work this clock again, mm-hmm. okay? All right, so my wife's car is in the shop. Right. So I go out there, be bopping out there to the garage, finna hop in, you know, the car. You're making good time. Yeah. You're okay, yeah. It's a rental car sitting there. I forgot that it's a rental car. I get in this thing, y'all, and I don't even, it, it, I didn't, I, I had to figure out how to start the car. Oh, Okay, yes. now once I got it started, I had to figure out how to put this thing in reverse. <laughs> Vady, you think I'm kidding. No, I, I could not you. get this car to... I'm like, what? Am I uh-huh. in a spaceship? What am I in? You know, get me back in the old-fashioned analog right. car and I'll be just fine. So I figured out how to get the thing in reverse. I'm serious. It, it took me forever. And I finally figured it out. So I'm backing down the driveway and my wife doesn't have the garage op- door opener that I could see, you oh, know, in, so I had to somehow figure out to get this thing back in park. So I, oh. I, I'm telling you, so I get it back in park. I'm pushing buttons. I'm jack. I'm, I'm doing everything I can to get this thing just to mm-hmm. go into gear. So I get it in park. I go up there and I push the button and I close the garage door. Okay. Well, I get back in there. So I've already figured out how to get it in reverse, right? Right. So I get it in reverse. It's not going anywhere. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> what, what is going on with this thing? You know. Oh my lord! And that's the kind of morning that I'm oh, talking great. about. No wonder you look so awake oh, after that. God. Oh, those rental cars. How about the ones that you, when you stop at the light, they cut off. Oh. And then when you push the brake or get ready to go or whatever, I can't remember, then it comes back on. That is always scary to me because when the cars, on, yeah, right? when the vehicle stops running, then it's, in our day, that means something's wrong. <sighs> so I, I couldn't go with those vehicles. I don't think I see or hear about those very much. So I'm a, I'm a little frazzled this morning, if you will. Yeah, okay? so, yeah we're just going to talk about cars this morning. No, but hey, what a good week. You know, had uh, hey, what a kind of cold week we had. Yeah, I was enjoying it. Well, it didn't get as cold, really, as was predicted. No, but I saw frost uh, Thursday morning. Did you? Yeah. You know, the, the other two nights and days, we had a good bit of wind. Remember mm-hmm. that? It was yeah. cold, but it was windy. And I was thinking, well, if the wind keeps blowing, 
you know, we're not going to have a heavy frost, mm-hmm. which we didn't, thank goodness. And it didn't get quite as cold like as you, what you said. But uh, Wednesday night, it got down, what, 33 degrees? Yeah. And it was uh, clear and, and really no wind. And I was like, man, I'm scraping frost off of my windshield. Huh, I missed the frost. Thursday morning. Yeah, and it was light I, frost, yeah. but it was, I mean, I had to scrape it off the so windshield. We have frost on the pumpkins. There you go, I guess. Yeah, because we don't get to see that, say that often, frost on the pumpkins. Hey, when... um. <laughs> When you plant pansies, do you pluck all the blooms off before you plant them? You know what? That's the smartest thing you can do. Yeah. In fact, when you purchase pansies, you need to try to find some, a whole flat that doesn't have a bloom one on right. it. It ain't happening. <laughs> it's just it's, not happening. I know better, but I still buy the one that has the most flowers on it. But the reason why we should not have flowers is because we're wanting them to root. Exactly. If they're flowering, then they're spending all their energy doing that. So if you pluck all the flowers off or pick them without flowers and plant them, then your roots will immediately start setting in. I want to know. I want you to tell me Mm -hmm. if anybody comes to you and says, that's exactly what I did. I bet you won't have one person. No, I'm trying to think. Did one person say that to me out of all? Surely one person. But it's fun. I mean, the avid, deep, 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 like deep root gardener. I'm not going to do do it. You know, and if I buy a flat of anything, I'm looking for as many blooms as I can also. But you're right. I mean, in the perfect world, we buy flats that have no blooms. Well, the growers, first of all, they're pushing blooms on these things as hard as they possibly can because they know. That's what people mm-hmm. want to see, yeah. right? No bloom, no root. That's right. And then to have those beautiful blooms on these pansies when you purchase them, to take it home and pluck all the blooms mm-hmm. off, it just ain't going to happen. I'm telling you. Maybe maybe you could be okay with it if you cut the pansy blooms off to decorate your cake with or put in your tea. Or your salad or, or whatever. Pretty or your salad. Because you can do that. You can do that. But having, I mean, and that's really the perfect way to do it. Mm-hmm. But realistically, we know no one's going mm-hmm. to do that. Um, but you do want to get your plants off to a good start. I mean, usually when you pluck that pansy out of the pot, whether it's a little six pack or mm-hmm. whether it's a four inch pot, I mean, you do want to have a pretty good, you know, white root mass down there. And usually you do, you know. Right, usually you do. Sometimes uh, you pull one out or so and you really don't see the root mass. You see a bunch of soil. So you have to be a little more tender, like almost holding it in your hand so all the root doesn't fall and or the soil doesn't fall and damage the root. And then the flip side of that, a lot of times you'll pull a pansy out and it's so mast and roots mm-hmm. looks like it's sitting in its own little pot which yeah. are the roots you know and that being the case you do want to kind of pluck the roots off the mm-hmm. bottom kind of separate them a little yeah. bit before you stick them in the ground yeah we need to tell them to grow out instead of in a circle yes ma'am see roots have brains too but this is the t- <laughs> this is the time of year that i mean pansies are flying out the door yeah, uh, and you should really get your pansies this week also. Yeah, I mean, the growers still have a decent selection, but there are a lot of colors that they're already selling out of. Yeah. Um, had a young lady in the store yesterday, and she was asking, you know, talking about pansies. She didn't want to plant them just yet. She was going out of town. And she said, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. And I said, yeah, you know, we'll have pansies mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks, but all those colors you see out there right now, uh-uh. It yeah. ain't going to happen. You're not going <laughs> to find all those colors two weeks from now. Oh, what a tough position. Because I wouldn't want to buy them and take the chance of them drying out. Of course not. we're not For two past. weeks. Not one week, but two weeks. That's just... Mm. You know, and that's... Yeah, you know, and that's... 
and that's also that kind of falls into the line of not only bedding plants like pansies, but your nursery stock. And we always lean on our irrigation systems, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, of the growing season that we had this year, the summer that we had this year, a lot of people would go out of town, which they should for vacation or whatever, come back and they would still find dead plants, shrubs, mm-hmm. trees, perennials, annuals yeah. under their irrigation system, Veda. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because some things just weren't getting adequate moisture, some things we saw were getting way too much water. And, and I was telling, you know, when we talked to our customers, I was saying, who would think that just watering would be so hard? I know. That's the thing. You know, watering. Yeah, it is. It, it is It is complex, uh, I'm telling you. It really is. I'm trying to explain to one of the guys that water in front of the um, interior department, and we just planted some arborvitas, and then we have things in containers, you know, all that stuff that's been there for the season and it's looking really good and he starts watering the plants that we just planted the same amount as the containers and i'm like trying to explain no when they're in the ground we're not going to water you know two times a day or even 108 degrees right right yeah and uh, it's still just like i don't get that you know, and I think things dry out differently. Well, um, Jan just texted in one of our great dirt birdie, dirt buddies. I always say birdies. I, dirt I buddies. I know what you mean. She said, I'll get Kenny a bicycle. Oops, nope, um, because he would get an electric bicycle, okay? <laughs> and that's complicated as a rental car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, couldn't it be? <laughs> yeah, it could it? be. Where's the key go? How about just a little scooter? That'd be pretty, that'd be much easier. How about getting the car out of the shop and let me get in a car that I know how to drive? Right, let's just bottom line. Yeah, so um, we're going to run to a break and then I have another story on the watering situation. But uh, post some questions on Facebook Live or uh, give us a call, 260-5926. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda with Palladio in Memphis. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers right here in Memphis, Tennessee. And like Veda was talking about, this is the time of year. As Veda always says, it's fall, y'all. I love hearing that. Heard it for 20-something yes. years. <laughs> We're ready. When when we say fall, y'all, that means breath of fresh air yeah. and a whole new planting season. A breath of cooler air also. Yeah, Veda. that's true. So um, the other watering thing is... So I had someone come in, and their holly, their um, cone-shaped holly, was yeah. just bone dry. Mm-hmm. And it's really bizarre because I've seen this a couple of times. But then everything else around it is beautiful and fine. Mm-hmm. So when I tell them that this holly has just dried out just as crisp as can be, yeah. the uh, next question is, and it makes total sense, is that can't be true because everything else around it is, fun. is fine. Yeah. Well, what was around it were things that, like flowers that only had a couple of inches root ball, maybe some perennials that, you know, went down a few more inches, but they were just watering enough to keep those alive. Those which, with the smaller root systems. Yeah, yeah. which they're not realizing that's what's yeah. happening. And that's taking all the water quickly as well. And then leaving no water for the plant. Well, and then we also saw when it was so hot and so dry for so long, where whether we were hand watering or especially under irrigation, where the water, the irrigation system would come on, okay? Mm-hmm. And it would uh, penetrate the mulch. You know, we always have too much mulch in our beds to start with. So you'd have the top 
you know, inch of mulch, sloppy wet. Yeah. And then the soil, I mean, the water might penetrate down one or two inches into the soil. Okay. Yeah. Well, like I said, that's fine for a little shallow rooted annual, but you started, you know, talking about trees and shrubs that are much deeper rooted. Right? And the, the moisture was just not reaching yeah. the deep enough. Deep enough. Right, right. So maybe the top inch or two <laughs> right, was getting water, but it couldn't take it up fast enough. And this year was worse on everyone in the garden industry. So if you're a new gardener, don't give up. This was a hard year. Well, and then, you know, one thing that I noticed also when it was so hot and so dry this past summer that... I really didn't see the mole activity like yeah. I do in the spring and fall we or when it or in the summer when we get these these uh you know scheduled rains mm-hmm. it seems like because I guess with the soil being moist they man they go to town and it seems like this time of year this year in particular everybody and their mother is calling about a mole yeah. I mean, everyone is but now it's been really quiet. Well, Not a lot of mole and vole issues. Well, I mean, no, I mean, I'm saying I didn't, I didn't hear hardly anything the whole summer. Right. I guess because it was so dry. Maybe the moles mm-hmm. were a little deeper. I don't know what yeah. was going on. But now that it's gotten a little cooler, we've had some moisture, some rain out there, Veda. People are knocking the doors down like, huh. what is going on with these moles? And I'm like, what is going on with these moles? Oh, wow. So now they're going to be ravenous They are because they've, they've been basically dormant They've in gone the summer. nuts, I'm telling you. And, you know, and I have to bring this up. And I know we've talked about it a million times. But first of all, if you've got moles or a mole in your yard, the short answer when people ask me is there's nothing on the market that is 100% effective every time you use it. There just isn't. Yeah, I was going to say, let's let's make that point of there really isn't. No. Because when people come in, I want so bad to be able to have a solution. Oh, well, and there, there are four ways you can try to do it. Try. But you, it helps a little. Oh, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, some people say it's the best thing, you know, since light spread, you know, mm-hmm. when they use it. And some people say, well, I just didn't see a whole, you know, a lot yeah. of difference. But one is you can get in there and try to repel the moles. And moles hate castor oil. And most of these repellents that you buy, Mole Max, mm-hmm. Mole Go, uh, they are castor oil, whether it's liquid or whether it's granulated. But I always tell people, if you're going to use a repellent, you have to do it the right way. And the right way to do it is not apply the repellent over the entire area at one time, okay? Yeah. You've got to do it in sections. You do a third of the yard one day another third the second day, and then lastly, the last third, the third day. You're pushing them out a certain direction. Whichever way you want to go is fine. But if you put it down on the whole area at one time, they don't know what to do. That's a good you know, point. They don't know where, which way to go. So it is important that if you use a repellent, you do it that way. Mm-hmm. Secondly, of course, you can. I had a guy come in yesterday. He said, do you have these poison worms? I said, yes, sir. So I showed him. He got four boxes. There's mm-hmm. 10 worms per box. And I said, my God, how many moles do you have? He said, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> said, I'm getting four I boxes of this stuff. going to put them every foot. Oh, uh, <laughs> he's going to make sure that he gets enough of these poison worms that you put down in their tunnels where he's going to have his whole yard baited. Mm-hmm. He's going to get that mole, okay? You know, one thing that can help us, too, is earlier in the season to start applying things. Because if you can get them before they start having their babies— then your population could be lower. You're not kidding. But like I said, it didn't seem like it was really that big of a problem this summer when it was so hot and so dry. I guess they were going deeper where the ground was a little easier to dig yeah. through, you know? 
So he got the poison worms. And my point is, whether you're using a repellent, like the castor oil, or whether you're getting the baits, like the poison peanuts or the poison worms, you know, the, the ideal way to use those is to put them in the active tunnels. And that's when people look at you cross-eyed and scratch mm-hmm. the head and go, what do you mean by an active tunnel? Well, the active tunnel is usually the newest tunnel are the straight tunnels. Those are your runner tunnels, okay? Mm-hmm. And then you can have little tunnels branch off of those. And I know sometimes you can't tell. <laughs> That's why this guy was going to put mold worms everywhere. And then thirdly, that is, you know, there are some grub killers that you can put down, uh, like Dilox and some of those. Now, they do a good job in killing grubs, but they also do a pretty good job of killing your earthworms. And a lot of people don't like that idea of it. But if you're going to get real and try to get rid of a mole, you can't. They love earthworms, too. Mm-hmm. You can't kill just the grubs. Right. <laughs> Excuse me. So, you know, you can put down the grub killers. And then last are the traps that you put down. Now, if you use a mole trap, you have to make sure that you put or you keep moving around. You have to make sure that you put the mole trap on an active tunnel. Mm-hmm. And I told you this story. I went to a lady's house to drop off some pots one afternoon. And she had a company come in there and put mole traps down in her front yard. They had mole traps. They probably had 40 of them in her front yard. A, a, a lizard couldn't walk mm-hmm. through this yard without mm-hmm. setting one of these things off, okay? So they're going to get the mole, mm-hmm. I promise you. But, you know, as a homeowner, I'm not going to go out and buy 40 traps yeah. to put on a 30-square-foot yard, you know? Yeah, because um, <laughs> they're, I know I'm thinking... Sometimes you can do too much, Veda, it and was it doesn't the, matter. It was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Wow. I mean, I'd never seen so many mole traps in such a small area. And it was probably one of those where the company had been trying to get this mole, and they just couldn't get this thing. And so the client they, was really giving them what for. So they're like, okay, we'll get yeah. it. So whether you're trying to trap them, repel them, bait them, or, or, or you know, bait them, uh, I mean, do the best you can. you got to do something, or they'll just kind of tear up your yard. Now, some people look at them where, well, I'm going to leave them alone. They're aerating my lawn, you know. But I have seen many times where they run that tunnel through there, and, you know, that grass will die in that tunnel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I get it. I understand why people try to get rid of moles out of their yard. But it yeah. seems like right now they're just going crazy, though. Just keep that in mind. Well, I'd worked in a, a yard. It was really a big yard, and it was it was divided really into rooms. And so I get to the house and I'm starting in the back and it's real early. So it's still kind of foggy in the yard. And I'll look across the way and into an open spot and there's a a mist or a fog right in that area. And I see a bunch of things standing there and I'm like, I know, I'm like, what in the world? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, And they're not really moving. I was like, okay, you're being ridiculous. And I start walking closer and closer and realize it's a whole bunch of mole traps. <laughs> I know, they really, because, I mean, you can see the legs, how the trap could look like in the legs. It was kind of misty and foggy early yeah, in the morning. You like, know? What? So then later that day, actually, the um, the guy that kills the moles, I ask him, you know, which one's the best or which one do you do? Do you yeah. start with the repellent and go here and there and here and there? And he said... Uh, if I do that, eventually I get to the traps. Yeah. And he goes, so I just start with the traps yeah. and move on. But, you know, as a homeowner and all, we're just hopefully trying to relocate them to the neighbor. I mean, relocate them. <laughs> <laughs> Push them things back over the boundary line. Yeah, right. Push but, them back in the neighbor's yard. We'd never say that out loud. No. <laughs> like see, we just did. Stopped. Well, mm. the 
what Jared recommended too is um, very smart. I don't, I haven't really heard this before, <clears> but it makes. Oh wait, I just said you were very smart. Oh Lord, y'all, it's out but y'all are okay, fine. Um, the the you'll get the over point, it. Yeah, the point of putting some down and then putting more down the next day and then like a third the next day. Yeah. To move them out, it's because if you do it all over your yard, you're right. They're running in circles, going which way do I go? And, and it's definitely on the label. I mean, it tells you definitively to do it that way. Is it a new addition to the label? No, or it's, did it's, we just... it's been on there forever. But that's what I'm saying. Most people would never... I mean, who reads the... <laughs> And especially on vole repellent, because you're just like, I don't care, the more the better. And it is a mole and vole repellent. And it, it repels other things also. But, yeah, guys, if you got a mole, I mean, I hear you. I understand where you're coming from. And, it, you know, the problem is we're trying to get rid of a varmint that lives underground. And it's just not an easy thing to do. It's not. And some people do all of the above, Ada. They'll try everything. Well, you know, it's a good excuse to get a, a cute dog or a cat. It's a good excuse for that. Right. Yeah. You know, our dear friend Jean Howe, she her her definitive answer uh-huh. is get a cat. Yeah, and that'll just take care of it. But my cat would just sit there and watch it. Crazy. Yes, it would. Okay, to a break. Uh, get your gardening questions. Get your tea. Get your coffee. Get awake, and um, you can post them on Facebook Live, or you can call in and give the questions to Philip, our program director. We will be right back after this. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can be with us this morning. Give us a call, 260-5926. Or you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text right there, Vady, or go to, what, kramradio.com and mm-hmm. listen to the podcast anytime you want. That's right. I was listening to the podcast on the way in. Really? <laughs> yeah. How do you, you know? do that? And then I was so focused on it. That's so crazy. But um, landscaping, this is a fantastic time to start planting everything except for your summer annuals. Um, I'm going to, there's this one place that we've been working on a little bit here and there. We don't do landscaping, but we're working on this anyway, because it's just one of those fun yards. But I was working on doing the design in the back and got a little stuck with it. And then I realized, you know, a good way to do this is actually take each space and put your plants, figure out what plants you want in each space, and then start connecting the spaces together with other types of shrubs. I'd made a list of the things that I knew that would do well in those, in that circumstance. You know, some could be all shade, all sun, part sun, part shade. Right. So I made a list of those type of plants. And then you're looking at the paper feeling overwhelmed yeah. at, at what you're going to put. And even though I know all the plants, what they do, their names and everything, it still can become overwhelming. Yeah. So I, I started breaking it down into this area is their garden area. And so I had wanted to put do some cabbage and kale and pansies and in, in mm-hmm. some kind of area. I didn't know, am I going to mix it in with the shrubs? Am I going to do this? And I thought, okay, well, this is gardening stuff because mm-hmm. the kale you can eat, the Swiss chard you can eat. And they're, they're into doing this. It's interactive garden Absolutely. because they have kids as well. And oh my goodness, it's adorable watching 
It's like we're watching Eden grow up in this garden and the pictures of her enjoying all the little departments we've put in to the front and side yard so far is just wonderful. And and you see what gardening can do for a family when you watch us take a, a weedy yard with no concept, mm-hmm. just nothing going on to her sitting on the porch to us slowly developing the yard and how Mm -hmm. she becomes interactive in it and then looking forward to me coming out and so she can show me all the things she's done well but it said you've had this landscape background also which is really good you know i I don't know if i could do it i mean i can maybe help people solve their problems and i can surely answer a million different questions but when it comes to the artist eye of getting out there and landscape invader, I mean, I can do the basics. Mm-hmm. But I've yeah. seen some, you know, when you used to do it, I remember seeing all the pictures that you would do. And it was just, it was mind boggling to me. I just, the, the, the way I see it is there's so many different ways you can landscape a certain area. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, it's there endless. Is. That's the thing. Yeah. And then you, but what you have to do or what you used to do is try to figure out, okay, what does my customer want? What does mm-hmm. my client want? How do I make them happy with these 8 million different ways I can landscape yeah. this area? Right. And that's exactly. what kind of, I guess because there's so many different ways you can do it, mm-hmm. that's what kind of throws me off. Well, yeah, and you've got a good point there because when you first I see a, a yard mm. or what have you, and so immediately you start thinking of what could happen, of what course. you could do in there. But then I talk to the client and <laughs> you find their vision is just Different from yours. Right. And it's good to know because this is for them. This isn't for me. This isn't for what people see on the street. This is a landscape for them. Of course, you have to be careful how you make things look on the street. (laughs) Of course. Well, but that's the thing, though. When people do their own landscaping, it's perfectly fine. I mean, Mm -hmm. the way that you want it. Right. That's the way that you want it. Yeah, You know, I mean, so what? You know, so people get so caught up in this you know, magazine pictured looked mm-hmm. landscape. It doesn't have to be no. that way. Because if you, if y'all knew <laughs> how a lot of these pictures are made, then it might help you feel better about your landscaping. Yeah. There, a lot of, I mean, yeah, there's some beautiful yards that are yeah. taking pictures, you know, from far back. But when you see these mm. up close pictures mm-hmm. of this perfect vignette but it doesn't look like it's a vignette it looks like it's part of your whole landscape but what they're doing is setting it up oh staged no doubt yeah it's staged and i'm thinking and you'll still see the burnt edge around the leaves if you look close enough and not in the picture you won't oh you know that's like another thing on uh tv with shrubs and all we had numbers years put a lot of shrubs into this um they were doing a movie. It was here in Memphis. They were doing a movie. So yeah. we uh, donated shrubs. Well, not donated. Let them use our shrubs. And some of them they were picking out. I'm like, that's that's not, you know, I don't want that shrub out there. That doesn't look that good. But when you when we put them out and all that, it's not like they're panning in on each shrub. It's a backdrop. Absolutely. Yeah. So what they're seeing and what I'm seeing are two different things. Absolutely. And finally, I was like, you just <laughs> grab what you think, <laughs> because I'm trying to get the best of the best. But then when I watched the uh, show, it didn't have to be the best of the best. Right. You know? Right. It was. In, so that's I, like you say, there's still blemished leaves there's still oh, dry yeah. leaves you just tuck them or pull them off and if you look close enough you can probably see crepe myrtle bark scale you know on the yeah. crepe myrtle 
Uh, Darren uh, texted in, and he said that uh, – Darren Ray, he said, hey, I had a customer call this week and wanted to know if there was anything we could do to put down for Vols, the VOLES. And then he said, sorry, I didn't know y'all were already talking about that. <laughs> well, yeah, the mole and vole, uh, the, the castor oil that we were talking about, it is a mole and vole repellent. It, it actually repels both of those critters. But also, I can take it a step further as far as VOLES, voles go. Uh, you can get ramic rat bait. You mean voles? No. <laughs> well, that's what Jen said. <laughs> oh, did she? <laughs> she said, go voles. I mean voles. <laughs> but... For the vole, and, and, and the, let me set this up. Real, the big difference, a mole is tunneling through your yard looking for grubs and worms. That's all he's doing is looking for something to eat, insects. Mm-hmm. A vole will eat insects, but it will also eat the roots right off of your plants. It's a salad eater. I mean, I'm telling you, but it will flat out eat the roots, y'all, off of these plants. And then sometimes pull the plant, try to pull it down <laughs> like, into the hole. Just like Bugs Bunny and the carrot, you I know? know? it's true. But but far as VOLES, I think there's three ways that I would try to tackle them. One is the castor oil that you can spray or put down dry. In the beds, not a problem, okay? Two is... Voles, V-O-L-E-S, usually have little quarter-sized holes that you can see. And the ramic rat bait, uh, which is like a little green ball, you can drop those down in those holes because I want it to roll down in the hole. I don't want them up on the surface where dogs and cats and everything else can get their hands on them. So you can roll these, uh, these rat baits down in every hole that you see once a week for about three weeks. And if they eat this stuff, which a lot of times they do, mm-hmm. it'll kill them, okay? So that is a good bait to use. And then lastly, and people look at me like, what did you just say? You can get the old-fashioned mouse traps and bait it with a piece of a pecan, okay? You can put a little peanut butter on there, stick the pecan on it as glue, if you will, mm-hmm. and set these baited traps in the bed by these little quarter-sized holes. And then you get like a clay pot and you set the pot over the trap, mm-hmm. Okay. You will be amazed how many of those little nasty little things you'll snap up with those wow. mouse traps. If you put chocolate on it, I'd probably go, be going for it. <laughs> and people, I've heard everything under the sun that people have used as bait. Mm-hmm. Okay, green beans. I mean, cheese. Really, you yes. heard green beans? I've heard, I've heard what? Of people. Why put would they think everything? I'm telling you, the one that works absolutely the best is a piece of a pecan. Okay, it just just use you it. You know, if you think about this though, voles like roots. They like salad. Yep. So why are they going for the pecan? It's just the best one out. But there. I've heard that over and over too, and now I'm thinking, why would they go for the pecan instead know. of see instead of a green that's bean? That's all of a sudden. Mm. Well, that all of a sudden makes sense. That's what I thought when I said why a green bean, and I was like, well, probably because it. More closer pecan trees to, out there than uh, closer to a a, a root taste. It's closer to a camellia root than, yeah, than a green than a, bean than a pecan. You know, so, so try to trap them, try to repel them with mm-hmm. the castor oil, or try to bait them with the the ramic rat bait, or all of the above. Or like Gene House always says, just get a cat. Yeah, get a cat, and also the soil. Um, the uh, permatil or what we call it is in the enlightened is a sharp rock charred rock that you can mix in with your soil Mm -hmm. to help with the drainage but i have actually taken it and put it in the holes that i see Mm -hmm. so they don't keep coming back to that plant so that's like a quick fix to get them off of that plant as well and then if you're planting plants that you know they love and you've had Mm -hmm. the problem in the past like hostas for example i mean a hosta is caviar to a vole it just is 
And I've seen them eat roses and camellias and dogwoods and everything else in between. Mm -hmm. But a hosta? (laughs) And they always go after the most expensive ones first, okay? Mm -hmm. I promise you they do. Um, You know, some people will sink them down in a, like a mesh basket down in the ground, or they'll surround the hole, like you were just talking Mm -hmm. about, Vado, with the uh, permatil. Uh, but anything you can do to protect that root system from those little devils, I mean, the better off you're going to be. It's just yeah, poor. The, I mean, the hostage just get it every kind of way. Their roots or the deer come and munch on the top. Yeah, you can just you can just. I have seen the most beautiful hosta beds devastated by deer eating yeah. them. Well, and I had actually my notes written down uh, deer repellent, uh, and. There, I mean, because there, there's, there's a lot of deer in Shelby County. Let me mm-hmm. just put it that way. Depending on where you live, yeah. you know, most people in the inner city, they're like deer. Mm-hmm. I've never had problems with deer. No, because of where you live, you get on the extremities out there. And deer are everywhere, mm-hmm. and they love to eat your pansies and hostas and everything else. And there's some really good repellents out there, Veda. You know, the Cody urine, the Fox mm-hmm. urine, the repels all by Bonide. But I'm telling you, the first thing I would buy is a big old bag of Milorganite. And sprinkle that stuff everywhere. Milorganite will not only feed your plants, you're not going to hurt anything with it. You can use it this time of year. But it also dubs as a really good deer repellent. Right, because it's made from sewer sludge, a nice way to put it. And so that's got that um, human smell to it. And they don't want to be around. No. When, when that's going on, they don't want to be around humans at all, except for now, some of them are starting just to be like, oh, that's a person. Well, it's I told, fine. I told I'm you when, good. I, when I first moved in my house many years ago, the neighbor behind me, before we had fences up, because it was a brand new neighborhood, he had this big wheelbarrow that was full of corn. He was feeding the deer mm-hmm. every day. Now, they are great to look at. And, oh, look at the deer. Oh, look at the little baby. But in back of my mind, I'm going... <laughs> Oh, I know what these deer are going to yeah. do, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, that that is a, a thing that people wonder, which way could that go? I'm, I was thinking the same thing before you, you said it. Okay, if I feed the deer farther out, will they just stop there? Or are they still going to come into my yard? I mean, this was basically in my backyard, okay? <laughs> That's just too close, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because if it's really, if you're feeding them close to your house, they're probably going to going to want to scope out what else you've got growing well, around. But what happens when you stop feeding them? You're so used to There's bringing that. them in, you know, to yeah. your backyard. And then when you miss a day, oh, yeah, miss a couple of days. They're still going to eat. Right, because you know they'll just re- repel, rebel, rebel against you like my cat does if uh, I forget her snacks. I have to say yes. Then she's going to do something mean if I forget her snacks. All right, we're going to head to a break. Um, you know, give us a call. Two six zero five nine two six, or check us out on Facebook Live, and you can put your question there. We'll be right back. Good morning, and welcome back to Mid South Garden. Glad y'all could join us. We're in the first hour of three hours, so get ready. Yeah, give us a call two six zero five nine two six two six zero five nine two six. Give us a shout, or you can go to the Monday nine ninety Facebook page and shoot us some questions right there, and then later on. If you miss all this, kwamradio.com, streaming live all the time, guys. You can go back and listen to the podcast, Veda. That's right. And a lot of people come into work and tell me they, they will go back and mm-hmm. listen to the podcast. So we appreciate oh, all that. Oh, that's good. I like that. Thank you. All right. Um, what about, go ahead, babe. Oh, um, we were talking about the landscaping and all, and 
I was going to go into some of the plants that I've picked. Oh. Yeah, because, well, we did the, the kale and the cabbage. and The ornamental the, kale, yeah. kale and cabbage, which I'll, you got to have. Right, and then the kale that's edible and the Swiss chard that's edible. And, of course, the pansies are Johnny Jump Ups. Well, this one space is going to be in the gardening space mm. and because they've got some things like spinach and a few other things. So we're just going to add this into the gardening space. I'm only going to use pansies there. It gets the most sun. Right. But over on this other side where it gets more shade, I'm going to use violas because mm-hmm. violas <clears throat> tolerate the shade somewhat better. No, no doubt about it. And the viola, viola, uh, you know, the Johnny Jump Ups, <laughs> yeah. they're the ones that had the smaller blooms. The beauty of them, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, is you get a lot more bloom mm-hmm. on the little Johnny Jump Ups than you do pansies. They're just not as big. Yeah. But also, they can tolerate more shade like Veda's talking about. They can actually tolerate even colder temperatures. Mm-hmm. And all that means come January and February, when your pansies are really not blooming, those violas are. Yeah. So That's true. But yeah. but now but if you want the show, mm-hmm. then of course we all gravitate toward the bigger blooming, yeah. you know, pansies. But there's a viola. A panola and a pansy. Yeah. The viola has the smallest bloom. The panola is in between the viola and the pansy. It's like a viola on steroids, like we Mm -hmm. said. And then there's the pansies. They're all fine. Yeah. Yeah. They're all great. Great for making it through the winter and flushing back out in the spring and just looking so beautiful. So definitely get some of those. You can put them in containers or in the ground either way. Um, in the shaded area, I'm also going going to use some shade-blooming perennials for now mm-hmm. because it seems, you know, like you've got the hostas. They look great. But they bloom in the summertime. Um, but right now, you can use the turtle head, any of the toad lilies. Mm-hmm. There's different foliage on the toad lilies. Those are blooming like crazy right now. And anemone. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different anemones. So I'm going to group those together mm-hmm. in one area. And maybe area. some Lenten rose tucked yeah, in there somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm going to make one area just your shade perennial garden because it's shaded for one. Yeah. But the space is uh, more allowing for a perennial garden versus a tall shrub there. And that's going to be going down there. We have a stone path and then you go down. Uh, they've got a path and we go up to a little landing of their door. And then you go back down some uh, rock stairs into the path again. Right. So during, along the path, I'm going to put those type of plants in. But I'm also going to, and the Linton Rose, like you said, right. because Linton Rose is evergreen, when you can't see the, the turtle head and the uh, toad lilies and all of that, you'll be and able to. And Linton Rose is still there yeah, through so the winter. Right. So you're not going to have a, a bare spot there. Not that that's a bad thing. And then you can even throw in some of the autumn ferns. Because they're evergreen also. So they will blend with all the shade perennials you have. But when the blooming ones die down, you'll still have something in that area. And the autumn ferns are also one of these perennial ferns that are basically an evergreen. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so just go with that. I mean, most ferns die down in the winter. You don't see them until the following spring. Autumn ferns, man, they're yeah. more—they're hanging in there. They, they are. They're more or less an evergreen. They are, and they have the height also. Uh, they really look good if you take a prune a couple of fronds and and use them into indoor, uh, not indoor landscaping. That's what you do with flowers, <laughs> indoor landscaping. But in your florist decorations, I guess. But you you're say. right. I mean, you, you know, the sun is going to dictate what you can and can't grow. 
whether it's in your lawn, your, your bed, your vegetable garden, everywhere outside. That's the first question you always ask yourself is, how much sun do I get? And if you don't get enough sun to support what they call a sun-loving perennial or annual, mm-hmm. then you've got to go to the shade-loving. Now, there's not quite as many shade-loving perennials as there are sun-loving. That's so true. Same thing with the annuals. But, there, I mean, I've seen some beautiful shade gardens, though. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely, definitely doable. It is. And there's quite a bit of stuff out there you can choose from. With, with shade gardening, you go with textures. Shape of leaves. Color different. color of foliage. Yes, exactly. Color of foliage. That's that's really what you're doing in a shade garden. And then getting little spaces where you can put pops of color in. Yeah. You know, like I guess early spring is the woodland flocks. <clears throat> but it's like you can't <coughs> plant one woodland flocks. I mean, you'll get some blooms off of it and it'll be cute and all that. But if you're wanting a really good display of that woodland flock you need to plant a lot together because then you're not going to see it any other time of the year after it's finished blooming it's hard to plant one of anything it really is it really is unless you're wanting you have a small space and you want one of you want every plant out there and so you just buy one of everything (laughs) and that looks a little weird sometimes sometimes yeah but like we said earlier is hey it's whatever you like right yeah because it could be in a way where you're enjoying each individual plant because you have a smaller garden and you're going to be closer to it and it really doesn't matter what it looks like you just want to enjoy each plant all right, when we get back on the second hour, Veda, we're going to have a fun time. It's going to be one of these point-counterpoint kind of things. Mm-hmm. One is things gardeners just might not need okay. that we've always thought we needed. Uh-huh. We'll kind of talk mm. about that, and I'm sure you'll have some pushback on some of these. <laughs> of course, I'll create more of scale because it's still out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll uh, talk about deadheading some of the hydrangeas out there. Mm-hmm. Should we? Shouldn't we? Some we can, some we can't. What does all that mean, right? And then, of course, at some point this morning, we're going to talk about the houseplant of the week, which I don't know why we don't talk about this one every week. Right. The money tree. Yeah. I love that And what it's supposed to bring to us, right? (laughs) I got answers for that one. And then, of course, you know, the weekend chores. Oh, it is the weekend, y'all. Be happy. Get up and start stretching, and we'll give you some plans on what to do, and we'll tell you what you can and can't do this weekend. And we'll be right back. <laughs> the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome to the second hour of Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us. I'm Veda with Palladio Garden. And good morning to you, Miss Veda. I'm Kenneth with Danwest Garden Centers. Boy, we have covered a lot of ground already, first hour, so this is our second hour. We've got three to go. Uh, No, (laughs) three to go. You would love that. You would love it. Wouldn't I, though? Just stay here and talk all day. She would definitely love it. But if you want to give us a call this morning, Miss Veda, 260-5926, or our Mighty 990 Facebook Mm -hmm. page, there's Miss Veda right there. People are shooting us uh, questions. NKWMRadio.com, where you're streaming live all the time. Go back and listen to the podcast anytime you want. Right. As as we were going over plants, one I forgot was the Solomon Seal. 
and I love it. Yeah, because because you can get the variegated. It's got texture, um, variegation, some white that brightens up the area. It's an interesting looking foliage. It's it's not going to match any other foliage you have. No, but the beauty of that plant is once you plant a clump of it, mm-hmm. you're going to have lots of clumps down the road. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it loves to spread, which right. I love. That's one thing yeah. I love about it. It's not invasive. No, no, not by any do- means. Yeah, but it does like to, to spread. I like the one that's uh is it called the false solomon seal that gets really tall like three feet and then it bends over gracefully uh it's it's a really good addition to the yard to give or to your shade area to give some dimension is that the right word or give more height yeah but uh the solomon seal there's about three kinds that we usually sell the variegated the regular and then this tall one well and the variegated is the one i like because typically in more darkened areas or shaded environments veda we're trying to lighten it up with some of that variegation i mean there's already typically enough green back there right uh, and that's why we go with either you know colored foliage mm-hmm. or variegated foliage it's just to kind of lighten it up a little yeah, bit right there's um what else am i going to use Though the aspidistra, the cast iron plant, there's the tall ones and now there's the dwarf ones mm-hmm. also. And, they and they're have, called cast iron for a reason. Yes, they're tough. They are so tough. I can tell you some stories about that. The foliage may look ratty, but you can just bring the foliage back and yep. it'll come back out. Yep. Um, but there's also, um, well, the thing is, uh, the cast iron plant, you can also grow indoors as a house plant. Mm-hmm. Now, the, th- when you get them from a houseplant vendor, they cost more than when you buy. Isn't it crazy? Buy, yeah. When as you a bu- perennial. Right. And then when you buy it as a perennial. However, they're fuller for indoors. They seem to be fuller and more manicured looking than the ones that you'll get uh, for landscape use. But it does cost more. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So there are. And then there's some ornamental grasses uh, like mm-hmm. the, you know, the sweet flag and those grasses that yeah. also kind of highlight some of these shaded environments mm-hmm. right the the um carex mm-hmm. all those colors they do good i like the chorus a lot and that's in the sweet flag family, yeah right. sweet yeah and it does need constant moisture doesn't like to go on the dry side so they say however i've seen it perform really well in dry conditions so those are just a few of the plants guys that you can dabble with if you're talking about a more shaded environment, mm-hmm. because we're that's where it seems like we always get stuck. Yeah, you know, there's we everything do. we can put in the sun, right? Right. We get in that shade, man. We're like, okay, what do we do now? Yeah. And and then like with hydrangeas, they like shaded areas, but they don't like deep shade. They do have to have some sun on them, mm-hmm. so you know you can have a part sun area. And I don't want to like talk pick up people out of gardening mm-hmm. and to move to a condo. But then there's so many different degrees of shade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's high shade, mottled shade, mm-hmm. deep shade, you know, and, and that's what, there's so many different aspects of mm-hmm. it, you know? Yeah, there are, especially when you ask, well, are you in sun or shade? And you'll see them stop and look up, you know, kind of look up thinking. And then you're like, well, I don't know. And then it's like the sun is moving throughout the year and you know it's lower in the winter and higher in the spring or summer and so when 
when are you asking me, do I have sun or shade? It, it can be a little confusing, but in a nutshell, I mean, we all know, you know, if you get a lot of sun, there are certain plants that you need to mm-hmm. try to grow there. But also when it comes to shade, I mean, you know, seldom do I really see deep shade. Mm-hmm. You'll see deep shade sometimes on the north side of the house where the way the house is built, back in a, a corner or a nook mm-hmm. with a big oak tree over it. You know, there are some areas that are deep shade, there's no doubt. But for the most part, um, when we ask someone, do you get sun or shade, and they say shade, it's usually a high shade. I mean, you still get light in there. You might not get sun, but you still get light. Right. And there is a big difference between high shade and deep shade. There was one area that was deep shade, and we were trying to plant something there. Trying. Mahonia holly. Just stick it in there. Yeah. But these were going to be small uh-huh. so we could see them out the window. We there's There was just nothing. Well, there's a few things, but it wasn't giving that look. Yeah. Because it was kind of like a secret garden where he wanted to look out. But it was such deep shade that nothing would work there. <laughs> I said, well, I told him, let's add some rocks. Now, we could put a container of things where it can be switched out when they uh-huh. start looking bad. But Something like that, it's just, for us, mulch or rocks. Isn't that amazing? Right. For deep shade. Yeah, for deep shade. Or ground covers. You know, that's when we start really getting into some of the ground mm, covers also. That's true, like the dwarf mondo grass. Exactly. Pachysandra, any of those, you yeah. know? I like, oh, I love the pachysandra. But that one sometimes wants to be picky. Well, you better have good drainage. And we say that about everything we mm-hmm. plant around here with our wonderful clay well, soil. I guess we could say extra good. Yeah. Yeah, because everything, everything needs need. good drainage. Right, right. So we'll say extra good. But, you know, the one thing that surprises the hookera. Oh, my gosh, that hookera wears me out. And it's kind of like, to me, it reminds me of a hosta. I mean, it has mm-hmm. the beautiful foliage, the different colored foliage. And there's so many on the market now. I yeah. mean, so many. There are. And I can't, fi- I literally cannot figure them out because it's... I'm kind of with you. Yeah, they no. love good drainage. But at the same time, when I see them doing the best, I immediately run up to the to the yard, to the area, and say, okay, what's the soil like, and on down the line. And it's in compacted, dry soil where they always look good. <laughs> compacted, dry soil. Now, it doesn't make any sense. Right, it doesn't make any sense. Now, we had... I put hooker in two different areas in containers. One was in an area that water doesn't hit. But it was still in more shade, though, right? All in shade. Okay. Yeah, yeah. all in shade. Both actually as close as could get of the same shade, but they were about 15 feet apart. So over here, they don't get irrigation, barely. And then in this other spot, they were getting irrigation every night. But they both had good drainage because they were in containers. Mm. But the ones that were dry most of the time performed fantastic i can see i can believe that yeah because the ones that i see that are dead or dying most of the time Mm -hmm. they they are they're staying too wet yeah uh now you know when someone says staying too wet that can either mean we're actually they're staying too wet they're being (laughs) watered too much too often like it means they're staying too well but it means like they're just getting (laughs) watered too much or and then sometimes it means you have inadequate drainage but heuchera is one of those plants that will surely let you know Mm -hmm. if you don't have the drainage that that they should have there's no recovering it either no and then of course we all know that (laughs) excuse me on some of the heuchera there's some that do perform better here Mm -hmm. than others uh i love them all i love the different textures of the leaves the different colors 
and I've tried them. I mean, I really do. But I'm like you. It's it's, it's not the easiest perennial right. uh, potentially to grow, even though it's – I mean, you see them. You see them out yeah, there. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty much – given up into putting them on the ground in the ground it, i'm going to put them in containers all day long hanging baskets containers hay racks they look great in, in they containers. do that and they last and they last the the one that's called it's the caramel color there is one a caramel one yeah, called caramel caramel and mm-hmm. I, that's the one i see surviving the most and the conditions are dry and yeah. the soil is seems a little bit tighter but in that same location, I cannot believe this. We went to a house in the backyard because we're going to analyze whether to put a, a pond in there mm-hmm. or do a consultation on pond and uh, landscaping. But in the front, I saw cyclamen planted. <laughs> and they were, so I went over there and I said, I know she just bought these and put them in the ground and she's just going to have trouble. So it, it wasn't hardy cyclamen? You think it was just regular? It was just regular cyclamen. cyclamen. And I said, when, I asked her, when did you plant those? She goes, last year. <coughs> she planted those last year. They've survived great. It was the same area that the hooker was in. Total shade. Mm-hmm. And the soil was tight. Mm-hmm. But the cyclamen were blooming and had nice foliage. I love they'd that. made it through love the that winter. plant. Yeah, they made it through the winter and all. <laughs> I see all the, I told her, I said, you are not supposed to be able to do that. And she <laughs> looks at me like, what? And I go, no, seriously. That's not supposed to happen here where these cyclamen um, can make it in the ground all winter. So then she showed you her, her green thumb, right? Right, right. Yeah, that was it. <coughs> and also, um, the cyclamen really do good outdoors all winter in a container. But when we actually would have them in six-inch pots, set them down in containers, and when it got really cold— Bring them in, kind for of like a calancho, also. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. those two, as far as blooming, what I call house plants, mm-hmm. uh, I love them both. Cyclamens and calanchos, those are my favorite two. It seems like fall and yeah. well, late fall and winter. Mine too. Cyclamen <clears throat> are fantastic. Oh well, we got have to run to a break really quick, and um, give us a call two six zero five nine two six. We'll be right back. morning welcome back to mid-south gardening glad you can join us this morning i'm beta with palladio on central avenue in memphis yeah. where you can find gardening things antiques um a lot of antiques yeah statues, beautiful paintings fountains you have paintings cafe we have mm-hmm. cafe there um so it's like a day's outing so if you're looking for veda just go to straight to the cafe yeah <laughs> you know, just that's where to go that's it that's it we did a garden talk this week on container gardening and we have a room a big room there it's right yeah. next to the cafe where they <laughs> go can, figure yeah they can eat and yeah. then we can talk and we did it on um house plants of course container gardens um house plants indoors and one of the things you know how i just start and get off the subject were we coming back to talk about something certain yeah. okay so one of the things that i explain to people is we get these wonderful gift baskets yeah. that they've got in one basket, five or six different types of plants that are put together and look wonderful. Now, hold on. You're putting this together or they come it's in that in, way? Well, in general. Okay. Say in general. Gotcha. If you get one for a gift. Gotcha. Say, gotcha. Or purchase for yourself. I'll 
put together and everything. And then I asked them, so then how long do they last? Do you watch them and they're beautiful <laughs> and you watch them? And then this plant little dies and this one. And the next thing you know, they're all saggy. Yeah, they look great when you walk out the door with yeah, them. Yeah, right. And I said, well, let me explain how this works. Most of the time, they're little individual pots. Sitting in a basket. Sitting in a basket. And then they've got moss all up around it, which is beautiful. But a lot of times you have to pull that moss back a little bit so the plants can breathe. And you have to water each plant individually. Exactly. You can't let each plant get bone dry because Uh it's absolutely impossible to rehydrate each small plant. And the smaller the pot, the quicker it dries out, I promise you. Right. And we were using minis. Minis are, what is that, like an inch round container (laughs) with these beautiful little plants in there, which are really hard to rehydrate if you let them get too wet. The tough little plants, it's amazing how they can grow in that small little pot, which they can do if you just keep the moisture Right. So what we have to do is like take a little pen or a pencil and just poke a hole Mm -hmm. in the top of each one so the water can drain through and not over and out. But... You you really after a little while need to take your whole design apart and, and treat them as soak, in, and just soak those things yeah, also right. you know and then you could put them back in yeah but it would be better to go ahead and keep the plants separate and then get little containers for each separate plant so everyone was relieved to find out that it's not that they didn't have a green thumb yeah. It was just just the way that this works. Yes, the nature of the business, especially when you're dealing with small pots like that. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of when my wife bought her last orchid, or phalaenopsis. Mm -hmm. You know, religiously, she would take that thing out once a week out of the nice ceramic pot that it was in that has no drainage, Mm -hmm. take it out and soak it uh, in a little you know, Tupperware with water. Just kind of set it down in there, soak it, let it drip dry, put it back in the ceramic pot, and set it back on the table. But she was really good about doing that because she knew Mm -hmm. that— if it went a week without being watered, Veda, it would do exactly what you're talking about on a smaller scale. Right. You know, yeah. so. And then the other thing is, too, is sometimes they're all on a different, uh, they're in different types of soil. So this <laughs> one's drying out every day, and this one doesn't uh, need water but once every four days. Just, you wonder how uh, we can grow anything. That's true. So actually, after saying all that, plants are very forgiving. Yep. They're very forgiving. So when you get some really nice, pretty arrangements, they're good for a while, but then you you do need to take them apart, uh, check them out. And then we've even made some arrangements where we just plant them all in soil. Now, and what else at Palladio's? you got a good selection of houseplants. Yeah, a good selection of houseplants. But we have... The uh, fountains, the paintings, yeah, the antiques. Right, the, trees, shrubs, okay. fruit trees, well... Two weeping peach. Well, that still means fruit trees. Fruit trees. <laughs> Two weeping. We try to go with some little bit different things or decorative things. Um, say, for instance, like the blue dark grass. Yeah. You know, and um, man, the St. John's warts. Yeah. Warts. St. <laughs> John's warts. That's a, we're going to use that in that landscape, too. The first time I saw St. John's wart was, oh, wow, like... 2004 yeah. was the first time I saw it planted at the um, at Pickwick in, yeah. the, in front of the main building. Because at that time, everyone was like, eh, I don't know if it works or not. Well, I saw it at Pickwick, and it was fantastic. And it's been slowly building mm-hmm. and building, and now it can get really nice big ones. And they but work. Yeah, yeah. You have, y'all, y'all have got to use a St. John's wart. Yeah. 
And of course, at Dan West Garden Center, it's kind of ditto of what you said, Veda, mm-hmm. but no paintings, you know, yeah. no big fountains, nothing like that, no antiques. But y'all have got like, like the cure-all for every single thing. Well, but we've thing. got all the insecticides, uh-huh. fungicides, herbicides, you know, all the fertilizers that mm-hmm. we both carry. But this, you know, fall is fun because the annual color, I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the pansies, the violas, the panolas, like you were yeah. talking about a while ago, the ornamental cabbage and kale. So it's a fun time, y'all. Hey, I mean, well, it's fun in the fall, I'm telling you. Yeah, I love going and there. Then, Everybody's so nice. But do you have your Christmas shop? Is it still happening? Oh, yeah. yeah. Veda's over there right now trying to get that thing ready. And, uh, Who is? Miss, Lydia. Miss Lydia. I yeah. said Veda. Yeah. <laughs> Miss Lydia. And, of course, I've already started putting up artificial Christmas yeah. trees. So. We're in the fall mode, mm-hmm. but we're getting into the Christmas yeah. mode, if that makes sense. Right. And then one of the big things right now, Veda, you know, is, is bulbs. I mean, mm. it's it's one of those where people that know, they're going to plant their bulbs. And you have a fantastic bulb selection. Well, we do. And, you know, whether you're planting tulips and daffodils and hyacinths and crocus and all the other minor bulbs, and then the the ones that you bloom uh, for us indoors, the paper whites, you know, the... Uh, the Ziva and the end ball. And we were talking, remember, a couple of weeks ago about bulbs, about the paper whites in particular. And you get online, and I'm telling you, I was cracking up. <laughs> I was laughing. I was tears in my eyes how read the comments about what different people <laughs> say about paper whites. Some people absolutely love them, but the ones that don't, oh man, they express themselves. Trust they me, they don't. Right? No, yeah. and it is just hilarious reading mm-hmm. what they have to say about them. I love it. See, I love them. I love the way they smell. I like the way lilies smell in the house. I mean, I, I just, my wife, if I, if I brought home a stargazer lily yeah. bouquet and set it in the house, that it would be in the woods before just, the next she can't day. can't stand that can't stand sweet, it. strong smell. And see, yeah. I think it, smell, it reminds me of spring. Yeah, yeah And the paper does. whites do the same thing. Oh, spring. But let me say this, Faith, as far as bulbs go. Uh, yes, you can go ahead and start putting most of the bulbs. In fact, you can put all the bulbs in the ground now. But most of the bulbs, especially your you know, your narcissus and your daffodils mm-hmm. and the minor bulbs and those kind of things, people are starting to plant now. For me, on the tulips in particular, I like to buy the tulips, put them in the refrigerator, honestly, because mm-hmm. they need that good chill yeah. to really bloom well the next year. So I like to store them in the refrigerator and usually plant those around Thanksgiving. But the point I was going to make, and you've seen this a million times before, as I, I can't tell you a better look than having tulips growing in a bed or beds or little pockets where you mm-hmm. also have pansies growing. That's true. That's it, fantastic. It look. really is. Yeah. So we're usually saying um, plant your pansies and then go back and put your tulip bulbs in after they've been. Cold. Unless you just plant those tulips a little deeper, but I still like to pre-chill my tulips mm-hmm. before I plant them. That's why I get them now. Put them in the fridge in a paper bag, and take them out sometimes around Thanksgiving and put those things in the ground. All the other bulbs I can start planting right now if right. I wanted to. Well, let's see. Now, amaryllis is a, a great thing, too. And it takes about six weeks from just the bulb to create the amaryllis in bloom. Six weeks? That's what I always say. Yeah, anywhere, always it's anywhere from weeks. four to six, but right. you always have to assume it's going to be yeah. six weeks. And then after that, you know, they'll bloom. They'll be beautiful for a number of weeks. 
So if you're wanting to give a gift of an amaryllis, you may want to get it soon, a gift for Christmas, get it sooner so you can go ahead and let it grow But you know, and people, they, they don't care if it blooms during Christmas. Yeah, I mean, no, they really they don't. They love it. When, it, when it's, it might be blooming in January, and they still mm-hmm. absolutely love it. And now they've come out, of course, with the wax coated, and they're not at yes. the garden centers yet. The amaryllis right. aren't. But they will be. Mm-hmm. But whether it's just the old-fashioned bulb like Veda's talking about or the wax-coated yeah. amaryllis, that all you do is take it out of the box and set this thing <laughs> on the table. Uh-huh. No water, no soil, nothing. Right. And it does its thing. And it works. It w- it's also would work in doing a design where you've got your container for indoors and you've done all this. Uh, you want to – you can – you want to – put some height in there after you've done it or you want you're like oh i forgot to do my amaryllis well it's okay because it's in that wax thing and it's got the little stand below it and you can just set it in there and know that it's fine it's just incredible that they when they first came out i was like like this thing's not gonna work and they work great they do people just break the door down to get oh they love them we'll be right back after these messages Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I'm so glad to be here with y'all this morning, Are you and with Kenneth, and with Philip, our program director. Yeah, we couldn't do this without Philip over there. Jan. <laughs> and Jan. Jan and, and Jamie. Jan texted in. Jane, Jane, uh, Jan Childers. <laughs> uh, she texted in. She said, uh, if I can get it, come back up here, Miss Veda. She said, Kenneth brings home a bouquet of stargazer lilies home, right? <laughs> Gina not only puts the lilies in the wood, she also throws Kenneth out there. Yeah. Isn't that the way it happens? <laughs> That's the way it happens, all right. Um, oh, yeah, and y'all follow uh, Palladio, well, and Dan West, too, on Instagram. These We had somebody hack our Instagram page at Palladio. <sighs> they didn't do it through me. Oh, come on, man. I'm telling you what. But um, A lot of people, I mean, why, I know. why do people do it? So we went, we had like what I say, 5,000 followers or something yeah. like that. Now we have 32. Because you had to start over. We had to start over. That's just amazing how this works. So, and really though, need check uh, Palladio. There's Palladio Antiques and Palladio Garden. Uh, check the garden out because if you were a follower, that's what's happened. And then I see Dan West post on there yeah, too. Yeah, but you want to support your local garden centers and your local yeah. businesses across right. the board. So, yeah, really, you know, if you check out a lot of the garden centers Instagrams, you find all kinds of stuff going on. All right, Veda, what do you think about? And we're gonna get into earlier a little later on in the show um, things that you probably just don't need as a gardener. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll get into wanna, that. Okay, I'll, I'll so you you're gonna make me suffer. I longer. am. But okay. what about deadheading hydrangeas? And and when I mean when I say that, I mean I'm not talking about just the limelight hydrangeas, mm-hmm. but also the old fashioned hydrangeas. You know, first I gotta say real quick. Okay, so we talk about. The the feet of a plant. Right. Now we're talking about... <laughs> dead heading. Dead heading <laughs> The top a plant. of the plant. So we've roots and feet are the same. Yeah. Dead heading. We're talking about the, the old pinching spit blooms. blooms. Yeah. Okay. So dead heading hydrangeas. What do I do? You got to be careful, first of all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I and the reason I'm saying that is I've got some limelight or two 
<laughs> limelight hydrangeas on the back fence. You know, I've got some crepe myrtles in the mm-hmm. center and then some limelights kind of banking each side of those, nice. okay? And in the summer, we all know that these, uh, you know, paniculata hydrangeas that can take all the sun you want to give them bloom their little heads off. They're great mm-hmm. hydrangeas, and they're extremely hardy plants. But I never have liked the idea of keeping that brown bloom on there <laughs> through the winter, which you, you surely just, can you do. Just, you, that's just not you. Right. It just, right. I mean, for aesthetic reasons, I just, I, don't, I just don't like that look, even though a lot of people mm-hmm. do. They keep it on there for the birds and everything else. But I'm thinking I'm going to go out there today. Today's going to be my weekend chore day, okay? And I'm going to cut those blooms off, or, or no, I'm going to deadhead them. Now, on a something like a limelight hydrangea, I don't even have to be careful cutting those back. Where I cut them back, who Doesn't cares? Matter. I can yeah. go out there blindfolded and cut these things back. <laughs> So I'm going to cut all that off of there just because I don't like the way it looks. And I know some people do, some people don't. Limelights. Limelights. But when it comes to cutting back the blooms, spent blooms, on the old-fashioned hydrangeas, the macrophilias, the big leaf, you know, the pinks and the blues, then don't you need to be a little more careful, Vega? Oh, you do. You You do. And that's why things don't bloom like that. Because they weren't careful. Exactly. So we're bringing this up because people do it this time of year. Your old-fashioned hydrangeas. You can go out there and just snip the dead, the old bloom off, okay? But you cannot go in there and just start cutting down into that stalk to cut them off. Uh, so all, we can't go all the way down or to the middle no, even and just cut. No, yeah. don't even go down six inches and cut. Right. <laughs> because you're also going to potentially be cutting off the blooming tissue for next mm-hmm. year's bloom. And so people, they see people out there cutting these hydrangea blooms off, and they think everybody can do it. Well, it depends, first of all, <laughs> the type of hydrangea. That's yeah. why I brought that up. The old paniculatas, the limelights, the little limes, the bobos, the annabelles, all those, are cut them fine. back whenever you want, for, as far as you want. But when it comes to the old-fashioned hydrangeas, you've got to be extreme. Either you don't cut them back at all, Right. As far as the bloom, if, you, if you're not sure what you're doing, just leave them alone. Mm-hmm. Or you go in there and selectively, just the head of yeah. them, you can snip out of there. Because I'm telling you, that blooming tissue is sitting there waiting to bloom next year. If you get in there and cut too much mm-hmm. of that stalk back, you're also cutting off that blooming tissue. Yes. Make sure you cut at an angle also. And the lace caps, you have to be careful on those as well. Oh, yeah. For the lace caps. And I'm the one that likes to keep the seed heads or the, I know you the are. spent flowers on uh, just because I like the look. And it's a good attractant for beneficial insects and it looks really pretty with the frost on them and it's something to look at it's a different color brown and i and i applaud people that see that i mean i wish i could i mean i don't know why it Uh, bothers me so you just really don't even see it like that no i see it where you know these used to be uh these beautiful white blooms out there now they're brown (laughs) it just and it's and it shouldn't bother me it shouldn't but it but it does because I get that, though. So I'm gonna I go totally out there. get that. I'm going out there today, and I'm going to s- snip every bloom off. Now, I'm going to wait till about early March before I really get in there and cut my limelight okay. back. Mm-hmm. You know, Because you don't want it to spring out with new growth right no, now. No, I don't want to go out there and, and cut this thing back today like I am in March. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. going to cut it back a good bit. We get another four weeks of nice warm weather. This thing's going to try to... F- flush back yeah, out exactly and i don't want that happening right before winter no i know I'm, i've kind of stuck with that situation too we put 
a number of things in the greenhouse that are just need some perking up, I guess you could call it. And they need fertilizing and pruning properly and all. And I want to do that right now. Yeah, I know. But since they're, the greenhouse isn't fully enclosed, but it's still a little warmer than out. So if I do any pruning or fertilizing, it's just going to cause it to grow. Yeah, and also on the hydrangeas, on the, the old-fashioned hydrangeas. I know a lot of them look horrible right now. Not only the bloom, but the foliage looks mm-hmm. horrible. Yeah. That's not uncommon this late in the year. That foliage is going to fall off before too long anyway, right? Right, yeah. And then especially on the old-fashioned hydrangeas that have the spots, either the bacterial spot or the mm-hmm. fungal spot on the foliage, uh, when those leaves fall, get a, a blower, a rake, or whatever, get all that stuff out of there. Clean yeah. that, that debris out from under these hydrangeas. Watch that new growth really good next year. Now, if you start seeing spotting early in the year, then get some daconil or some liquid copper or something and get out there and start spraying. But this late in the season, I really wouldn't worry about spots on right. a hydrangea leaf. It's just, it's almost insignificant this mm-hmm. late in the year. Yeah, right, exactly. Some hydrangeas have pretty fall color also. They do, oh, yeah. especially those oak leaves. Mm-hmm. And then it's not a bad time of year also on the hydrangeas, especially the old-fashioned ones. Let's say if you want pink blooms, to go ahead and put some lime around them now. Mm-hmm. You know, because lime is what makes the bloom pink. Aluminum sulfate or sulfur is what makes them blue. But do it now, either one, mm-hmm. and then come back and say in the early spring and do it again. Because, right. you you know, you can alter the pH and that's going to mm-hmm. dictate what color of bloom you're going to get. Yeah, right. You can bring soil in and we can test the pH, too, to see how much you may need to be adding to get it all the way to that color. And then if you've got the color you like, you could do like the garden tone, which has the lime. Love it. Keeps it pink. You can use the holly tone, which has the sulfur, yep. which will keep it blue. Yeah. And then, you know, this old theory about hammering nails <laughs> or pushing nails in the ground around your hydrangeas. Yeah, you can do it. And yes, it will slightly acidify mm-hmm. over a period of time. Yeah. But we're in the 20th century now, okay? We don't have to use nails anymore. And wait and wait and wait. No, yeah. just get some aluminum sulfate or sulfur, sprinkle uh-huh. that out there, and go about your business. And weren't, weren't nails also used for iron content? Right, but iron yeah. is what helps acidify, though. Right, yeah. So well, you have to do a lot of nails. So, but then that could take care of the voles if you had nails. And, and let me say, follow up by saying this, because you want to be careful. Um, just So just remember this, the old-fashioned hydrangeas, the best time to cut those back is right after they bloom, okay? That's just the best mm-hmm. time to do it and not affect the bloom for the next year. Now, thank goodness there are some old-fashioned hydrangeas that have the pink and the blue blooms, like the Endless Summers and the Penny Max and all these new hybrids. They'll bloom off old tissue and new tissue. So you're going to get more bloom and they're a little more forgiving when it comes to pruning. But overall, you cut those back after they yeah. bloom. Now, the paniculatas, you know, all the new hybrids that are out there, the limelights, the little limes, the bobos, all those, you can cut those back in March. Mm -hmm. They'll flush out new growth and bloom on that same tissue. So that's not a problem. But so many people get out there, Veda, and cut those old-fashioned ones back, wrong time of the year, and they don't get a bloom that that same year. Yeah, that's usually what happens when people are are discussing the fact that their hydrangeas will not bloom. Cutting them back. And then you ask, you know, how when you know, my husband just cuts them straight to the ground. <laughs> yeah, because like, oh, there's so just sorry. sticks in the wintertime. Yeah. But the the paniculatas, you can do mm-hmm. that too. Right. Okay, y'all, went to a break real quick. We've got great gardening advice after this. We'll be right back. 
Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Doesn't that sound like we should be doing like one of those old dance old dances? <laughs> With the what? little what's the little things that you shake, you know, and Maracas? Uh, yeah. Is it Maracas? Yeah. Yeah, stuns- Maracas yeah. and the tambourines. Yeah. My mother had a set of maracas. And so when she would um go to work and I'd have to stay and take care of my sisters. Where do you think they'd go? Oh, get the maracas. Exactly. And who do you think would get in really big trouble? They'd be Veda. Yeah. Because you were supposed to be watching after them. Right. Not giving them the maracas <laughs> and trying to blame them for it. <laughs> I don't know why my sister don't like me now. <laughs> weekend chores, potentially, for people yeah. this time of year. No okay. better than time to do it on the weekend, right? Right. And, you know, we can let these be weekday chores, yeah, too, of course. if you miss the weekend. Exactly. One is maybe putting some mulch down. We talked about mm-hmm. this a little bit last weekend, especially around shallow-rooted plants like boxwoods and azaleas and Japanese maples mm-hmm. and those kind of things. But still, I like to mulch all my beds. I'm not just mulching just individual shrubs. I'm mulching the whole bed. You know what's really weird? I know you hate this color, mulch red. But for some reason, I picture your yard with red mulch. I've never have gone to I the know. colored mulches. And no, I agree. I never have. I don't know why I see your yard in red mulch. You know, and it's kind of like, I mean, you know, the first time I see any colored mulch or mm-hmm. saw any colored mulch, I'm like, mm-mm, that is mm-hmm. not going to go over. Whether it's the, you know, the, the dark red, the, the bright red, mm-hmm. the jet black, yeah. uh, the painted brown. I mean, it's it's all a matter of preference, and I tell people yeah. that every day. Um, and I'm, you know, I, and one thing that I will never do, and I'm, I'm still talking about it, is not ever ever use uh, soil conditioner as mm-hmm. mulch. And I, you know, I've documented that yeah. well. Okay, <laughs> but I do want to go in there before it gets cold. And listen, I'm telling you, we got a little taste of you know some chilly weather just the other day. Uh, but I want to go in there and re-mulch my beds, Veda, before winter gets mm-hmm. here. Uh, because I've blown out and raked out most of that soil conditioner. Right. You See, know, that's that, what I was going to ask. Right. You, you're not mulching on top of like thick mulch. No. And you're not mulching on top of something that doesn't allow water through. Exactly. Because, like the soil conditioner. Right. Because that's not going to help just putting mulch on top of that. Exactly right. And I've got most of that out of there. Um, and I really thought, and I've because I've seen people mulch with soil activator before. Uh, but I'm telling you, when you buy a soil activator, just stick to using that, working that in the ground as a as a soil amendment. Don't use it as a top dressing because it, it will— The soil conditioner? The soil conditioner, I'm sorry. Um, because it is so finely chopped mm-hmm. that it mats together, and it, it, it actually as an umbrella. I'm telling mm-hmm. you, it will shed water, repel yeah. water, and you've got to really get in there and kind of scratch it up to get water to penetrate it. And it's just—I'm not going to—it's not worth right. it, you know? So I've got most of that stuff out of my beds, and I know that I want to get in there and protect my root systems, Veda, before it gets cold, because we never know what kind Mm -hmm. of winter we're going to have around here, ever, you know? Right, and for us, a lot of times, it's not so much as keeping the root system from freezing, it's from trying to keep it even, Mm -hmm. because we're up and down, up and down, so our mulch can keep our soil temperature more even as well. And it holds in some moisture, you know, when, it, when it's dry. And, and it, it does hold in heat. And it, it, yeah. Exactly. It helps mm-hmm. moderate the temperature of yeah. the soil. There's no doubt about it. And whether you're using, you know, a, a shredded pine bark or a shredded hardwood, whether you're using pine needles, uh, cedar, cypress, mm-hmm. I mean, they're all good. And, or the colored mulches mm-hmm. like you're talking about. There's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. I just can't get my head wrapped around 
artificially colored mm-hmm. mulch. Yeah. I don't know why. I just can't. Right. So, and uh, it costs more anyway. Yeah. So I got to do, you know, some mulching. And, you know, today might be a really good day to do it. And then also, you know, I think I'm going to, I'm not going to cut my grass mm-hmm. because it really hasn't been growing that much in yeah. the last two weeks. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to reserve that for when the leaves really start falling. I'm not going to bag up. I'm not going to rake leaves this year. Let me put it that way. good. I'm going to mulch my leaves Mm -hmm. with the mulching mower and bag them uh, in the bagger. And then I'm going to go dump them in that back bed that I have. Okay? Yeah. So so it can turn into compost. Absolutely. And then a lot of that that I run over when I use my mower to run over the leaves it's a lot of those particles fall to the ground. And so then you're fertilizing. Exactly. So I'm going to wait, and I'm also cutting the grass if I need be at the yeah. same time. But I do raise my lawnmower to a little higher level where I'm not scalping my, my lawn, you know, right before it gets cold. So I'm not going to have to do that today, Vade. I'm going to wait till the leaves really start falling. Yeah. But I'm not going to rake at all this year. I mean, I might rake some out of the beds, but I'm not mm-hmm. going to rake the lawn. Right. You know, so I'm going to cut them. So also you, the thing would be is you will not wait till all the leaves fall. No. You're going to do it in increments. I have, I have yeah. to do it once a week. I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. But I really think I'm going to come back uh, late fall after I've got, you know, all the leaves mulched up. And I know a lot of that mulched up leaves stuff is going to be in the lawn, which is perfectly fine. I'm going to come back and put some of that soil activator down, mm-hmm. which is that yes. that humic acid, which is carbon, as you know. Mm-hmm. And that will help break down all of that stuff also. Yeah. So I think I'm really setting myself up to have good soil next spring if I do it right. that way. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. It's, there's a lot of things that we do now that will help us out in the spring. And it's also the same, the thought process, or no, it's not the thought process, but if you want spring blooming bulbs that's something that you do in the fall exactly. also so a lot of prep that we do now helps us with next year's things planting bulbs now gives us the blooms next spring. it's kind of like buying the coat in the uh, in the summer for the winter yeah exactly you know? exactly and then also putting the pre-emergence in the lawn is something to do now that helps us in the spring well that was one of my weekend chores also that people mm-hmm. need to be thinking about doing one is putting the pre-emergent down if you hadn't done it that's going to keep all the weed seed from coming up for the next three months also putting a fall fertilizer down potentially called winterizer. It's a 10 14 And it's the 14 that matters. That's the potassium in there. That's what hardens everything up before yeah. winter sets in. And then, Veda, of course, if need be, putting out some fescue or some rye. Fescue, ideally, in the shaded environments where Bermuda and zoysia won't grow. You need to go ahead and get that fescue down mm-hmm. as soon as you can. Get it up. Get it growing before the leaves really start coming yeah. down, you because know? Because then you'll be stuck in the, I can't rake the leaves because it's going to pull the new <laughs> little grass out. Exactly. And then potentially putting in your fall color. I still haven't pulled up mm-hmm. my spring planted annuals. Okay. Right. Now, remember what Jim used to always say, don't pull them up, just cut them off at ground level mm-hmm. and the root system will turn into compost. Right. These, these were some sun patients. Uh-huh. And they had a pretty big root ball. So if I pull these things out of the ground, I'm going to have 100 little holes that i got to come back and fill in. So I think I'm just going to cut the foliage off at ground level. See how that works. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, my roots are so big and intense that I can't 
you get know, something planted in between them. Oh, I'm gonna get a sharp trowel and I'm gonna dig through yeah. there. You know, but I think I'm just gonna I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna just cut the fold. Mm-hmm. I'm, instead of pulling the annuals up yeah. and coming back with pansies, volas, whatever. I'm just going to just cut them off at ground level and just kind of just dig in. Now, if I dig up some roots, so what? So what, yeah. You know? I guess you could say I do that in container gardens because I just want something. The whole container looks good except for maybe two plants. And, but, but see, those we do usually kind of yank out. Yeah, though, but you then know? sometimes they're so rooted in. I'll take the hori hori knife and, and and carve them out. I carve a little space and add a little soil. There's roots everywhere else, but then I stick them back down into the container and we're good to go. So it's kind of the same. So in a nutshell, weekend chores, guys. Get that mulch down if you had mulch or if you need mulch. Get the winterizers down if you need to winterize your lawn or your beds. You can use that same winterizer uh, in your beds. Uh you can plant some bulbs like we talked mm-hmm. about, or you can yeah. wait till around Thanksgiving. But think about the bulb planting also. Uh, get that fescue down as soon as you possibly can. And do, if you put a pre-emergent down, we got to say this, we've said a 100 times, don't put the fescue seed down in the same area that you put a pre-emergent down. Yeah. Or do not put a pre-emergent down in the same place you put fescue seed down. You, the yeah. Both, you can't mix those two yeah. together. As with the garden. <laughs> seed in the garden so people put the pre-emergent in to keep the weeds out but then your seeds won't come up either yeah and then uh, like i said you know put that soil activator down if you're going to ground those leaves up if you want to speed up the process uh that soil activator is nothing more than humic acid like i said it used to be called dethatch mm-hmm. people would put it down to break down thatch well it also helps break down ground up leaves in in my lawn it's good for your right. lawn because okay? it's feeding the microorganisms and the microorganisms start working quicker and start processing everything into compost. So that is your whole weekend right there. Yeah, that's just true. That's just not an hour or two. Like on the commercials, we'll be right back after these messages. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to the third hour of the Mid-South Gardening. Glad to be here with you today. I'm Veda with Palladio Garden. Yes, she is, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers, and good morning to everyone. Appreciate you tuning in. If you want to give us a call, 260-5926. 260-5926, or always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text, or go to kwamradio.com. Stream right, all the time. Listen right. to the podcast. Facebook Live, post pictures, or no, questions. Yeah. <laughs> and like you said, podcast. Okay, so can we do the tool, or not the tools, but the gardening things we can live without? You tell me what you think about okay. these, okay? It okay. says things you probably just don't need mm-hmm. when it comes to a gardener. Number one is pruning sealer, okay? Mm-hmm. Um. The reason I say that, I mean, forever and a day, you and I both know, Veda, with pruning sealer, anytime that we made a cut, mm-hmm. uh, we would run and grab this can of pruning sealer and slap it on there or spray it on there. What do you think, first of all, do we need pruning sealer in our shed anymore? And then I'm going to tell you why I don't think we do. Right. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you that no we don't need that spray can mm-hmm. pruning sealer okay i'm gonna say that research research has shown mm-hmm. that sealers generally do not re- reduce uh any kind of decay 
or speed the closure and rarely prevent insect or disease infestations, okay? And that's, mm-hmm. we'd, we'd have somebody cut these big limbs off of our oak trees, and the first thing we'd do is go out there and seal them. Well, like I just said, mm-hmm. it's really, it doesn't help. Yeah. In fact, uh, there's evidence that uh, the tree paint sometimes trap moisture, yeah. Yep. Right. Uh, you know, in there, mm-hmm. so you're really doing more harm than yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, you can even seal the insects in. And they can work their way down into the tree as well. So, so, so okay. that is, we both agree that we just, I'm not saying that you can't use a pruning sealer, mm-hmm. first of all. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm surely not saying don't ever use one. You just don't have to. No, but if you ever do use one, you do want to make sure that that wound, that mm-hmm. cut, has somewhat calloused. Yeah. Okay? So keep that one in mind. Right. Another and thing. Then, um, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Actually. No, I'm sorry, Vader. I was going to say on the pruning sealer, since we're saying don't use that kind, and there's one that Kenneth and I have always talked about, and people are kind of going, huh. But then when we had the tree whisperer here, I went over the tree goop is what it's called. And he was like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. that could work. And you would make some tree goop from mm-hmm. time to time. Yeah. And what was the tree goop? It was Ms. a diatomaceous earth and manure and soft rock phosphate mm-hmm. and a little water mixed together. It kind of make paste. a paste. That's exactly right. And we right. could buy it already pre-mixed. You make that paste, slap it on there. Diatomaceous earth is for insects. The manure is for feeding and healing quicker and the phosphate fate would help do the same thing so you can make a paste and that way you don't have to use pruning sealer well well said number two you tell me if you think this is true or not okay the old-fashioned just old leaf polish or leaf shine yes or no because everybody won't i understand (laughs) what so what is i mean i love the way when you walk Uh into a place and you see house plants the last thing you want to see is dirty dingy Mm -hmm. dusty leaves on house plants right you know, I don't want so to see that. I'm going to oh, this is such a hard one. I'm going in the middle okay. because it's not as great, okay. but it's not as bad. Okay, you're right. And I kinda, I'm kind of i with you on that okay. one also. But it says, this is what I've written down, leaf shine. It has the potential to clog up some of the leaf stomatas, which mm-hmm. is the opening in the leaves. That's where, you know, where you see the transpiration mm-hmm. uh, of, yeah. of the of the foliage but and even the photosynthesis yeah it's the way the transpiration is the way a plant Mm -hmm. breathes and you know so you don't want to plug the pores which are the stomatas to decrease the way a plant breathes okay by coating them with a glossy material like leaf polish so i think overall what they might say one of the better issue or the better solutions Mm -hmm. Is to get a you know a bucket of just kind of warm soapy water or it's just warm water and a rag yeah and try to manually clean the leaves now if we have time to do that I mm-hmm. think that's the best way to do it if we don't have time then I'm like you I'm not going to stop using a leaf polish to shine up the right. foliage of these uh, of these houseplants yeah. but keep in mind you don't want to go overboard right. with the stuff and you don't want to use it too often either yeah you don't want it dripping off i mean i'm holding the can back yeah. a good amount away where where the particles are breaking up more and falling lightly on the plant so it's not shining just shining put it two inches yeah. and just 
globbing it on right. there. Right, and but I may only do that two times a year. Yeah. So it is moderation for sure, but I guess technically. Technically, no. but I'm like you. I'm in the middle on that one, yeah. Beta. It's not that I'm I'm going to still use mm-hmm. leaf polish, but I just want people to be aware of what can yeah. happen if you just do it too Smother heavy it. or right. Yeah. Um, let's go to Bob from Midtown. Good morning, Bob. You're in the Mid South Garden. Yeah. Good morning. Hey, Bob. Bob. Should I? I have some elephant ears in my front yard. Should I dig up the rhizomes or leave them in the ground? <sighs> That's one of those. Well, you uh, could. Well, I'm gonna tell you what my take on it is. Huh. If if you don't dig them up, Bob, mm-hmm. you can't count on those to come back every year. You just can't because you don't oh. know if they're going to make it through the winter or not. Now, having said oh. that, I never dug mine up and they'd usually come back for six or seven years depending on the winter, but they usually did come back. Yes. And even well, if, most of my, most of mine, even with the last, what, back in when it snowed back right. in February, last year, right. that in when the first little warmth coming, say the end of March or in April, you could the little green sprouts start right. popping up. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of like my banana tree. A lot of times, the the uh-huh. initial bulb you put in the ground will rot. Okay, that oh. bigger bulb, but you, but the bublets mm-hmm. will still come up. So uh-huh. the 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 answer is, if you want to ensure that you have them every year, then yes, they're recommending that you dig them up and store them. Uh-huh. But in my opinion. You know, I'm always going to give it a chance. I'm going to leave them in the ground. If it didn't come up the following spring or doesn't come up, then I'm just going to go get another one, you know? Yeah. But you well, can't count on them to come back unless you dig them up, though, Bob. I see. Okay. Well, I appreciate the information, sir. Well, that's a great question. Thanks for calling well, in on that thank one. Thank you. Thanks, You're Bob. Welcome. Have a great uh-huh. weekend, buddy. Uh-huh. And then the, so, well, the little bublets come up in the container next yeah. to it. And I don't know how that happened. But it's not so much really the cold that's killing the mm-hmm. elephant ear bulbs. It's usually the moisture involved yes, with it. Yes, exactly. You get that cold, wet ground, mm-hmm. and they typically would just start to rot on yeah. you, you know? Well, like, for instance, the ones that we planted uh, at Arbor Town. Harbor Town. Yeah. <laughs> the ones we planted there, I was not worried about those coming back because the you sandy, know how well it drained. As much compost as we mixed in, it's still going to drain quicker. And yeah. it was between two houses. Yeah. So the warmth was there too. So I was not worried at all about them coming back there. But if you've planted it in ground that doesn't drain well. Which is anywhere but Harbor Town. <laughs> yeah. Then, then. You know, you could have an issue, but if you're putting it in, in you know, a flower bed or yeah. a cultivated bed, and they're, I mean, gosh, I would leave I mean, if, unless I it was leave. a really unique yeah, elephant ear. You know, there's point. so many on the market now. They, a lot of them are, are truly unique plants. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd probably dig those up. They didn't store mm-hmm. them. But just old classic uh, elephant ears, I'm going to leave them in the ground and take my chances, yeah. even though... You know, next spring, you know, there's a chance that they won't come back because there's a chance they can rot in the wintertime. That's true. But see, that's a really good point where you said sometimes the main bulb dies and then it has little ones on the side. Speaking from experience, when I pulled the main bulb out that was dead, I thought the whole thing was gone. But all the there was little bublets on the side that didn't come out. And there they grew just as beautiful as could be. But here's another thing, too. When I grew one bulb in the... No, I actually got a plant to start with. Just a plant, small bulb. Put it in the container. It grew really tall. It had three leaves, maybe. Beautifully tall. This year, 
the bulbs, since there was all these bubblets, there was a whole bunch came that grew up, but I couldn't keep enough moisture to get them big and oh. tall. So a lot of time, if I had taken all those bulbs out, the babies out and left one big one, they would have been taller. Exactly. But this time I have more. Yeah. And then caladiums also, remember that if you don't dig your caladiums up, they're mm, not going to come true. back. That's Just bottom line. Period. Yeah. Now, the elephant ears have a great time, great chance of coming back. Uh-huh. Caladiums, which people think are small elephant ears, if you don't dig those up, guys, you, they're not going to come Forget back. Forget about it. Yeah. And uh, actually, the cool weather's got some already. They're kind of like, eh, I don't want to be here anymore. But we're going to go to a break. Give us a call, 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Phillip's got Veda dancing again. like, that's a good one. So it's like I just noticed every time we come on, when I'm saying good morning, gardeners, I have to put my elbow on the chair and push myself up. Well, yeah, good you, morning, yeah. gardeners. <laughs> Every time I just realized that. That's funny. But uh, if you want to give us a call like Bob did, 260-5926. And, of course, go to the Mighty, 90, uh, Mighty 990 mm-hmm. Facebook page if you want to shoot us a question. And, Vader, we were talking about some things that potentially that we just, gardeners as gardeners, mm-hmm. just don't need. Yeah, okay. Uh, the first was the pruning sealer. The second mm-hmm. was uh, the leaf shine. Okay, yeah, and there's a right. point counterpoint in all of these. This one kind of had me scratching my head. Compost activator. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah, that one. Okay. Now, a compost activator is a product that we buy that we put in our compost piles or bins to speed up the process Mm -hmm. of composting. Right. What in the world could be wrong with that? Well, first (laughs) of all, really nothing. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you read about the truly... You didn't ask me which one. Oh, no, but... Okay. What do you... All right. You're right. What about compost... Activator or, or the process of speeding up that compost. Speeding up the compost. And like I said, there's yeah. surely nothing wrong with that, right? Right, right. Nothing wrong with that. And there's all these variables that go with it. Okay, well, you kind of read my okay. mind, Beta. So that is one of those products where I think I would still have on my shelf in the mm-hmm. shed because I like the idea of speeding up the process yeah. of making compost. But if you are in the process of trying to make compost, you want to do it the right way anyway. True, yes. And the right way is making sure that you have a combination of greens and browns mm-hmm. because you've got proteins and you've got carbons and you've got all that other stuff. And if you have that combination of greens and browns, Mother Nature is going to break it down right. as quick as she can anyway. Exactly. Okay? That's where people have a lot of problem. They don't do greens and browns. Exactly. It's all brown or all green. Now, yeah. Eventually, if you have all greens out there like grass clippings or all browns like leaves, I mean, eventually they're going to break down regardless. Mm-hmm. But if you're really trying to always speed up the process, you do want that nice balance of greens and browns. And then you can throw a shovel full of compost yeah. in there that has microbes right. all in it. But the whole f- point I want you to take out of this is Mother Nature is going to do the job. Mm-hmm. It's got enough microbes in there to break down anything you need to break down. Now, it's where we as humans are at fault. <laughs> you know, we're not having this. We're not turning the thing like we should. We're not adding moisture from time right. to time. And we surely don't have a combination of greens and browns, usually, in our compost pile. That's why we're using these activators to try to speed up the process. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where, yes, I think we still need compost mm-hmm. activators because typically we're not doing our part of the job. Yeah. 
But it's something where if you are doing your part of the job and you got all those combinations like we talked about the right way, you probably don't need it. Right. And that's usually my question before because a lot of people come in and do want the compost activator. I know I could just make a sell and say, yeah, I get it. Yeah. But I still want, I ask the question of, is your compost pile doing good now? Right. And they're like, uh, yeah, it's doing fine. I've just heard. And I go, well, if your compost pile is doing fine, you don't need to add. Use your money for a plant. Yeah. But if you're trying to start it, and I mean, for me, when I was trying to start a new compost pile, I just took a shovel of good soil. That's my point. Either compost or good soil, dump it in there. Yeah. You're kind of doing the same thing. So, it, But it's still one of those products where I don't mind having that product on hand. Uh-huh. I you know? agree. Yeah. So, but, if, but if we're doing things the right way, it's one that we just probably don't need. Because you could even mix it in with the soil that you're planting your plants with. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I mean, okay. it's not, so it's, it, this product is not yes. going to go to waste. We'll go okay? more yes than More no yes, right. All right, now the next one is the anvil pruner. And this had me shaking my oh. head also. Now, let me let me okay. preface this. You know, an anvil pruner is a hand pruner mm-hmm. that's got on the top a flat surface where a sharp blade pushes up against it to cut a limb. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anvil pruner, yes or no? No. (laughs) She's lost her mind, too. Anvil pruners tend, they say, to crush the tissue Mm -hmm. as it's being cut, leaving behind a ragged opening that is more prone to infection. And they are saying use bypass Mm -hmm. pruners instead. Yeah. Okay, now bypass is like a pair of scissors, okay? So the bypass pruners, we know if they're sharp, Mm -hmm. they're going to make a nice, good, clean cut on almost anything that you use it on, right? Right, right. Well, to me, the the bypass pruner, first of all, if that bottom blade is really sharp, it's still going to make a good cut. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're using it on really tender... You're talking about the anvil pruner? The anvil pruner. I'm sorry, the anvil pruner. If if that bottom blade that pushes up against that anvil is really Mm -hmm. sharp, you still get a good, clean cut. Now, I'm sure there's talking about anvil pruners that have been around for a while, and the, yeah. the blade starts to get dull, and you're more or less just crushing the limb off right. instead of really cutting the limb off. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. But also, Veda, we need to be doing that anyway. We need to make sure we have sharp blades on <laughs> anything that we're using, whether it's hedge clippers, hand pruners, loppers, whatever. Okay? Right. But also, what about the anvil lopper? You know, we use Same. those to make mm-hmm. cut bigger limbs, so... The only reason mm-hmm. I wouldn't use an anvil pruner or the only place I don't think I would like to use them would be there again on mm-hmm. tender growth where you're really more crushing right. it than you are cutting it. Crushing it. So I like the bypass pruner that uh, has the ratchet on it. Sure. Because guaranteed if you can't cut that uh, limb, limb, you can do that with these ratchet, ratchet pruners. And also, like for me, all of a sudden as time progresses, I can't cut the limb so you're saying that we always can use a scissor cut pruner right or a bypass pruner we all need to have one of mm-hmm. those but you're going to kind of just leave the anvils alone yeah. where see i kind of i don't mind using the anvils if i know the blade is sharp and i'm not trying to cut you know the the soft tissue mm-hmm. of a bedding plant right okay? right because when i get stuck with the anvil it's it's like oh I get so mad and I want to throw it somewhere and then I go get my others. <laughs> okay, so I'll have some in my worksheet okay. and, and I don't think you will. Yeah. All right, mm-hmm. two more, babe. One is the and this baffled me also is landscape fabric. Okay, I am saying no. See, and I'm saying sometimes. Mm-hmm. Okay, remember 
back in the spring, I was talking about, first of all, landscape fabric that yeah. you can buy now that is biodegradable. Right. You put it out there, it's gone after one year. Mm-hmm. And I love using that like in a vegetable garden, okay? Mm-hmm. But now, when it comes to landscape fabric, I don't mind using fabric, of course, under walkways. Yeah. And, you know, where you're going to put gravel down because you're trying to keep the weeds from coming mm-hmm. up. You've got that gravel on there. You know it's going to be permanent, okay? Yeah. What they're saying is not good for foundation beds around the house, okay? Fabrics, Finally. Yeah, fabrics inhibit the flow of oxygen to the soil. They discourage water absorption, mm-hmm. of course, in the soil. And they, they don't really stop weeds. <laughs> and they trap excessive moisture in clay uh, soil during rainy periods. And if you put mulch on top of landscape fabric, the mulch is going to break down into compost. Any weed that blows in there <laughs> is going to germinate on top of the, right. the fabric. Right. So this is one of those things where I think landscape fabrics have a place mm-hmm. in the landscape, but I also think there are places where landscape fabric you just don't need it. Yeah. I mean, have you ever rolled back the fabric and noticed how flat and dead the ground is underneath? And so, see... So here's the thing. I'm getting technical. Landscape fabric, <laughs> no. Because in your landscape, no. How about fabric, just call it weed barrier fabric yeah. that could go under your pathways. That's what I'm saying. The walkways, a, the yes. pathways and all that stuff. So there are some places for it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe not as widespread as, as that we think about sometimes. Yeah, because at first that was the whole thing. Where We use weed barrier. That's yeah. what it's called at the time. Sure. Weed barrier everywhere. Yes, we did. And then they're going, oh, it didn't work. The weed still came up through. I'm like, no, they just germinated on top. And then last one, I know we only got a few minutes, and I think somebody might be calling in also. Or what do you think about tree fertilizer spikes? Yes or no? No. <laughs> See, <you're, laughs> she is on it. They're saying no also. Now, is there anything wrong with using a tree fertilizer spike? Absolutely not. You can go out there and hammer these things down around, you know, the drip line of a tree. No, you're still putting fertilizer down. So there's nothing wrong with it. But reading this, it's better to scatter the fertilizer, a granulated fertilizer, on the whole root zone of the tree, not just around just the edge of the Uh drip line. So Veda says, no, I'm one of those where I still don't care if I've got some of those in the shed, but do I think it's better to put a fertilizer down on the whole root zone of a Mm -hmm. tree? Absolutely I do. And usually when I'm feeding my lawn, I'm feeding my Mm -hmm. tree also. Right. So it's one of those things where they've been around forever. People still use them. You know, everybody uses them. Is it one of those things that we have to have in our shed, our garden shed? No, You're exactly we don't have right. to because just fertilize everything, like you said, or just a big layer of compost because you're putting it on one little section. So only those roots in that little section can absorb that. And that's just not the, all the roots need it. Uh, so I think I'm kind of proud of you. Well, I thank you. You know, you were basically no on all of those except for maybe a little bit of the leaf shine. Mm-hmm. But if you use the leaf shine properly, then of course you're okay. Yeah. If you use any of these properly, it's not you're kill okay. It. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, don't waste your money on it. And I remember those Job spikes. Oh, my word. They were used forever and ever and ever on everything, especially like around the trees on the drip line and all of that. And there again, it's not, I mean, you're still putting fertilizer down. It's not a bad thing. Don't get, yeah. we're not saying that. I'm just saying right. there are other ways. To have you do ever, it, it kind of makes me think, have you ever had a cup that's got the lid on it and the, the little thing that you drink out of is, 
only three quarters of the way open, so you just get a little yeah. bit, but it never satisfies you. It just get, doesn't give you what you need. Kinda That's be. how I feel with those fertilizer spikes. <laughs> we'll be right back after these messages. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us this morning. And let's see, we had a call or a question from Marilyn, I believe. She yeah. called in and, um, and asked the producer, uh, Mr. Phillip, over there a question. And the question was, Veda? Um, can you cut back stuff after they finish blooming right now? Deadhead. But dead it depends head. on... Or dead dead leaf. <laughs> deadhead. Dead leaf. Well, it was kind of like what we were talking about in the first hour as mm-hmm. far as the hydrangeas. Some things you can, some things you can't. Well, all you can, mm-hmm. but you might affect the bloom yeah, for the next year. Yeah. So, Betty, you were saying most of your perennials, of course, you can mm-hmm. deadhead them, not a problem. Yeah, You're not going to affect it. Yeah. I, like for me, no, I'm not going to deadhead my print or not even going to cut. I might deadhead some, clean them right. up a little. Right. I'm not going to cut them to the ground because I want to see the seed heads. I want to have a natural habitat for wildlife right. to live. But if I was in the front yard with my manicured, yeah, then I, I might cut them back and mulch them. So you what can, about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to... I'm going to cut them down You're to the ground. Back. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh but yes, you can. There's nothing out there that you can't deadhead mm-hmm. uh, this time of year. And, but now there are some things out there that you shouldn't cut back. Yeah. This time right. of year. There's a difference between the two. Yeah. Like big woody things, you don't want to cut those to the ground. Mm-mm. Yeah. So perennials, you can um, clean them up. See, for me, I'm thinking if I leave them up as long as possible, they can take every bit of nutrients and give it to the root system to give it energy. Well, and that is so true. But also, they say if you don't cut your perennials back to the ground this time of year, that they are more winter hardy. Yeah. You know? More protection. More protection, right. So. As far as cutting them all the way to the ground, that's really up to mm-hmm. the the the, the, look, the homeowner. Yeah. That's exactly right. But deadheading, you can deadhead anytime. Right, and I hear that leaving foliage and things like that on the ground could could harbor bad insects. But that's if it's piled. You know, some you do have to get some of it out, especially if you have a lot of tree leaves falling or. Just whatever that you've got that could lose a lot of leaves in that area. I would clean some out. But even though you can harbor bad insects, you're still harboring beneficials. True that. And so you're in a more native environment, which gives the beneficials a hand up. And they can a lot of times eradicate the non-beneficials. But also during the growing season, let me just mention this also, when you're deadheading. I mean, when you deadhead a plant, you're encouraging more growth. You're encouraging better root growth, and you're Mm -hmm. uh, encouraging more top growth. So I always like the idea of deadheading, Mm -hmm. which is not the same as cutting way back. Right, right. That's so true. Like on the coneflower, I'm going to leave the seed heads. I wouldn't deadhead those because I want to leave the seed heads. This time of year. This time of year. year. Now, the thing... Uh, see, then that catches you in the other thing about spring. We all, a lot of times tend to remove all the protection, cut everything back, and all of a sudden we're opening up to the weather, making ex- contact with the root ball quicker. 
So, or they'll start spreading out because you've removed everything, you've allowed sunshine, but it's too early, you know, like in, the, like in February, sometimes when it warms up in February, people are pruning everything back and mulching and cleaning oh, sure. up and exposing things. Well, that's really too early. You need to, to wait on that. I mean, the, you know, the frost date around here is April 15th. And yeah. there, you know, last couple of years... You know, we've had killing frost on April 14th, April right. 15th, April 16th. Yes, April 16th. And, well, here we are. The first freeze oh. was usually November 12th was the time frame. And here it is, you know, October, the, what, the, 20th, yeah. the 20th, you right. know. Right, and so we got a freeze in some areas. I don't think this right in the town and, and much of our mid-south really well as we all say including mr paul little if Mm -hmm. you can grow anything around here you can grow it anywhere in the world yeah that's so true (laughs) we have to be the best gardeners in the world because we live here in the mid-south and everything is to an extreme when it comes to weather yeah so don't uh be discouraged if you're a new gardener (laughs) okay so go ahead pine needles what do you think i got a question for you okay veda do you think pine needles acidify the soil right. because a pine tree mm-hmm. you know they're acidic so do the pine needles acidify your soil they don't the only thing i think that causes issues in soil is the tannins off of walnuts you're so right i mean so many people think that pine needles, now because green pine needles are acidic by nature mm-hmm. okay they are if you was to analyze a green needle yeah. uh, it is acidic uh, a brown needle, not as much, but pine needles themselves, uh, even during the breaking down process of after they fall to the ground, they're almost just, I mean, they're slightly acidic, Yeah. but don't ever worry it. about, yeah, pine needles acidifying your soil. Yeah. You know, uh, we always hear people putting pine needles around acidic, loving plants. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Great. Blueberries, azaleas, yeah. hollies, dogwood, whatever. But you're not doing it to acidify the soil. Mm-hmm. We're right. using pine needles, we should be, for all the other reasons. They look great yeah. as a mulch. They let moisture pass right through them. Uh, they don't wash mm-hmm. nearly as readily as some of the other mulches yeah. do, Veda. Right. But don't use pine needles thinking that you're going to really alter that pH because you're not like you said. Yeah, you're not going to. So don't worry about that with the pine needle. That's a very popular question. And they're very slow to break down, too. (laughs) You put pine needles down, I mean, which is great. It's an Mm -hmm. attribute that at the end of that first season, you still got pine Mm -hmm. needles. You know, they're not all broken down into just compost. And you get those pine needle bells and you start pulling them apart and shaking them. And you're looking oh, yeah. at the bell thinking, this isn't going to do anything. But when you start pulling it apart and all, it actually covers a good amount of space. And I tell you, I love, I really do really love beds that are mulched in with pine mm-hmm. needles. I mean, when it, you know, the further south you go, the more you see. You see it all the time in Alabama, Florida, yeah. Georgia, all those places. That's all they've ever used, you mm-hmm. know. They come up here and they're like, what are these crazy people <laughs> using mulch for right. as far as the hardwood and the pine? So when pine first made its way up here, pine mulch, I was like, I don't know if I like that or not. Uh-huh. I guess because it was just so it was new. Different, yeah. But I'm getting to really kind of like pine needles yeah. as a mulch. I had the same thought you did at first. No. And then now I'm like, yeah. Now, I haven't done it yet. Right. You know, I'm still on the fence but, as far as me doing it personally. But I'm thinking that I'm, I might use well, it sooner than later. Yeah. And also it kind of depends. I like to use my mulch based on the type of landscape I have. I have to agree. Yeah, sometimes I'll do that. Um, 
really quickly because we've got Dwight. But think about weeds. Mm -hmm. Weeds grow in the worst conditions ever, Mm -hmm. right? And we're always complaining, you know, why can't that weed can grow there, but why can't, (laughs) you know, anything else grow there? We always ask that question. Yeah. Well, now scientists are investigating or studying or researching what in that weed Mm -hmm. makes it so incredibly strong in bad conditions, figuring that out and placing that gene, if Mm -hmm. you will, into our crops so they can tolerate longer. Yeah. Interesting. They they would pick out the good genes and put that into something that... But then again, think about it this way. Why is Bermuda grass growing so well in the beds, Mm -hmm. but we have a horrible time growing it out there in the lawn? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Especially Bermuda. Well, it's like if it's the native, regular old Bermuda... It's going to grow everywhere. But doesn't it just seem like Bermuda grows really good in the cracks of the sidewalk and our flower beds where we don't want it? Right, exactly. They're going for the good soil also. Hey, let's go to Dwight. Good morning, Dwight, calling from Bartlett. You're in the garden. Hey. Hey. Well, you were, I had some things written down, and basically you covered most of them uh, about pruning. And uh, so, uh, but uh, common hydrangea. Uh, which uh, do you cut if you wanted to eliminate some? Do you cut back the old wood or the new? That's a great question. If you want to eliminate some, Dwight, the best thing you want to do is get in there and cut out that old tissue. Okay. You know, to thin them out. But still, I mean, you know, you you don't want, like we said before, you don't want to go in there and just across the board. Cut those things back because it's not going to really hurt the hydrangea, but you're definitely going to affect the bloom for the next year if you do it that way. Right, and having said that, I have finally, I think I've actually (laughs) called you before, I got a a hydrangea, and this is on the north side of my house that I was talking about, but on the east side, Mm. I've had one for several years now that Mm. refuses to bloom, (laughs) and uh, it's, it's really healthy and everything but then it'll get some black stuff i am finally gonna uh, dig it up because i a few years ago i lay one of my uh uh runners or, or canes down in the uh the other one yeah and put some dirt on it it's great now i got about a a good size plant. And a lot of people do that, Dwight. They'll get that limb and, and bend it down, like you said, on the ground, put some dirt on top of it, and it will form a root off of that limb there, and then you can cut that off later and have another plant, a new plant. Well, I'm ready to change that finally. As far as butterfly bush, uh, what's the deal there? They're pretty high. They do well, but... Yeah. Should I cut them back? In early March, get in there and cut Mm -hmm. that thing back as far as you want. The whole thing? Yeah, the whole thing. And it'll just come back out and stay more compact and fuller, and you'll get more blooms that way. And then also on the butterfly bushes, Dwight, uh, I also like to go out there from time to time during the growing season when they're in, you know, blooming, is go out there maybe once a week every or once every two weeks and, and, and deadhead those also. Cut those old brown blooms off of there. And I'm telling you, man, it makes a huge difference as far as oh, the production yeah. that you get. Oh, yeah, I do that even an uh, eight-foot ladder. Sometimes yeah. Has to get up and, yes, sir. Yeah, and, and, and so you actually have, I've probably been told before, but you uh, you answered a question I was going to ask about brown and green. Yeah. And now I know it's, mm-hmm. uh, 
brown leaves and, and grass. That's right. So, uh, Green grass and brown leaves. That's exactly right. You want that combination when you're doing your compost pile. Yes, sir. And it's probably good to go down and get a shovel here and there mm-hmm. of dirt that's been under there a while and put it, mix it in the yeah, top. Absolutely. See, you're exactly All right. right. All right, Dwight. Now we're cooking with Jeff. Thank you, buddy. Thank you for calling. Did you and Dwight get together and compare notes? And no, no, Dwight. He's you know he's a smart guy. You know, here's one of those research. Ah, gotcha. Um, he's one. He, there's there's one of these researches that again I'm like, how does anybody ever know? Did they just make it up? And this is <laughs> so the Earth has. I can. Oh, how can they even know this? So many ants. It's got six, 16 zeros on it. Okay. <laughs> that many ants. We probably had that many in Shelby County. I know. Earth, they're called earth arborers, harborers. And they say that all these ants put together way more than wild birds and mammals combined. I mean, Can I, you I, I would have to say, that? yeah, I would have to say there's more ants out there than any other probably living creature yeah. on earth i would have to right agreed so apparently they even weigh more and that's why we're always trying to figure out ways to get rid of dang <laughs> ants yeah. you know some They're more than others carry us off well if, you know the thing is if the world has that many ants, then apparently they're serving better purposes than we're thinking. Well, and that's why I said some more than others. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, ants move the aphids around. Yeah. Sometimes ants can be responsible for taking aphids off of plants. Yeah, but... I, and like we learned that they those two live together, the ants and the aphids. But yeah. I don't want carpenter ants in my oak tree, and I don't mm-hmm. want fire ants in my landscape. Well, like... The carpenter ants are actually cleaning out the dead wood and the things. It's an indication, you're yeah. right, that you have rotting tissue in that tree. They're not actually the ones doing the damage. All right, know? we got to run to a break real quick. Is that what you said? Okay. Oh, we didn't take that break. We'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We've got Gwen calling from Midtown. Yeah. Good morning, Gwen. You're in the Mid-South hey. Garden. Hey, Gwen. Good morning hey. to you. Hey, uh, Kenneth. Um, uh, two quick things about oak leaves. Mm-hmm. I've got oak leaves. I've been in my house for 22 years. And I didn't know that oak leaves, if you leave them on concrete, they will rot the dickens out of that concrete. That is true. That is, have holes in it. Get them. Do not leave oak leaves on concrete. Another point: uh, if you get, if you have somebody mowing your lawn, have a pile of oak leaves in the lawn, a big pile, yeah. and just have them run over it yeah. two or three times yeah. to mulch those oak leaves up. And if you have a compost pile and put those mulched oak leaves in it, yep. it will make wonderful compost. I mean, Gwen, you're exactly right, and that's what I was talking about earlier. I'm not even going to rake or blow leaves this year. I'm just going to just grind them up with the lawnmower. And I'm also with you, Gwen. Anything that I put in a compost pile, baby, you know this, you're much better or much better off trying to grind them up before you put it in yeah. that compost pile. Mm-hmm. And then because though it has more surface anything you grind up it's going to have more surface area to activate. If you leave big chunks of anything mm-hmm. in any kind of composition, the chemistry of that will make it really hard to to break down if you have it in mm-hmm. a big dense 
teeth. Right. See, I yeah. like the way Gwen thinks. You know, she's going to get that more out and cut the, you know, the, the leaves like I was talking about early in the show. And she knows how to make compost also. And Gwen, and it's amazing, like you said, how in the world mm-hmm. can oak leaves, if you leave them on concrete, a walkway, a sidewalk, or whatever, long enough, it will it's, actually it's affect like the concrete. On your, it's like yeah. pure acid on your concrete. Believe me, I've got so many big, huge holes and they can't be fixed. I mean, it's amazing. It really is, Gwen. And thank you for all that information because a lot of people didn't know that. And I didn't know that either until years ago. Right. Same. I didn't either until I I started seeing (laughs) holes in my concrete. Well, Gwen, we love you, babe. Have a great weekend, and we sure appreciate the insight. Okay, thanks. All right. Thanks for calling in, Gwen. Yeah, you know, I didn't know that could happen either. It is crazy. But you know what's really crazy is how the acidity in the leaf can break down the concrete, but it doesn't do a lot to change the acidity in our soil. Why? I know. See, I guess different compost. You know, it's really crazy how things can mix together and create different outcomes. You know, Mother Nature really doesn't want us adjusting pH. I've come to that conclusion. Honestly, I have. Yeah, you know, have you? I yeah. mean, because different regions of the United States, different regions of a state, mm-hmm. you know, different parts of a mm-hmm. state, you're going to find different pH factors, um, you know, and it's it's just easier said than done getting out there and really adjusting that pH. It always, I don't know why it always wants to go back to its natural, yeah. where, I mean, normally overall, you're going to have acidic soils. Right. But if you have areas that have a lot of limestone and those kind of things, you're going to have some alkaline soils also. Right. But it's, pH is really important, Veda, and it's one of those things that we just don't think enough about. Yeah, and we some, don't at all, really. We don't. And But if you're ever trying to grow a clematis or a lilac or ivy in an ivy bed mm-hmm. or lawn, you know, those things need that pH to be yeah. on up their boxwoods. Right. And years and years and years ago, that would be a question that I wouldn't think of asking. Wouldn't think was, about it. Was, let's see, what's your pH? You've done all this. So either your pH is off or your soil is bad. But what was it? Everybody would say, miracle growth. Yeah. Some, <laughs> that's like, oh, I don't feel good. I'm hungry. And oh, somebody goes, funny. just have some coffee. Oh, Lord. That'll cure everything. Yes, it. I'm telling you. And that was the truth, what you just said. Yeah. But pH is important, guys. So, I mean, if you're having problems with a lawn or a, you know, a, a bed, I mean, it never, ever hurts to know what that pH is because certain plants, I'm telling you, uh, you some plants we got to lower the pH by adding sulfur or aluminum sulfate. Some plants we need to put that lime down or lawns to bring that pH right. up where it needs to be. That is so true. So much in gardening. So I have this book, Trial and Error, by Sharon Lovejoy. <laughs> we had her on the show, calling on the show, like pretty good amount of years back. And this is one of those things where a lot of people start going, what, is this a Jerry Baker thing? Or a lot of people say it because they sell the products or sell chemicals or organic products in their garden store. But when you can really buy a lot of this in the grocery store. And Jerry Baker was the guy that had a book out about a lot of homemade yeah. remedies, right? Right, before anybody was thinking about natural Spraying gardening. Spraying your lawn with Coke or whatever yeah, it was. Right, yeah, right, right. And all of them do have a, a merit to it. 
like uh, baking soda, potassium bicarbonate. We actually sell potassium bicarbonate. Yeah, and that helps with the fungal spores and fungus and all of that. Um, Yeah, so mixing baking soda soda with water and spraying it on your plants for mildew or black spot. I mean, think about that. Baking soda. Baking soda, which is sold at garden centers under a different name. Potassium potassium bicarbonate. bicarbonate. Okay, this one. What's Epsom salts? Magnesium sulfate. So you go to the store, garden store, and you buy a bag of Epsom salts to uh, add the magnesium, Mm -hmm. help the plants grow quicker. Or you go to the garden center and and buy a bag of... um, Magnesium sulfate. Right, right. So see, you're still using what's on your shelf except for you're buying it. Uh, pre-made. And a lot of people do come into the garden center and say, hey, do y'all carry Epsom salts? I mean, that's just the way they know it. Mm-hmm. And you hand them a bag of magnesium sulfate, yeah. and they go, no, I, w- I wanted Epsom salts. Right, exactly. <laughs> so many things like that. Well, I've enjoyed all this time together with y'all. If y'all missed anything, go back and listen to our podcast. Visit me at Palladio Gardens and Kenneth at Dan West. We'll see you next weekend in the garden.